This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's four minutes past four. It's Wednesday, the 30th of September. The police are going to ignore the new laws on smoking. Of course they are. When are they going to have the time to do it? Good Lord, they enough... I thought they went in to fight crime. What you choose to do in your own car is your business, I would have thought. They'll be coming knocking on your back door very shortly, won't they? Can you imagine? Sorry, we thought we saw somebody lighting up. Just about to watch Coronation Street. Corbyn's speech. Uh, one of the papers claims part of it was written back in the 1980s. It certainly sounded, in part, that it was written in the 1980s. Praise be to everybody. Cliff is back on stage. He got a one-minute standing ovation. That doesn't sound like quite the longest standing ovation. Taking me longer to go to the toilet before now. But anyway, he can still groove at 74. And the iPhone is tricky for left-handers. Amazing. All of that. And how much do you think Help for Heroes has got in its bank account? How much money do you think Help... I'll tell you now, it's £45 million. Apparently, they've got so much money, they don't actually know what to do with it. Because you're very generous when it comes to Help for Heroes. And I've seen the people collecting on rugby days. And Help for Heroes is the one that people go, we're doing that. That's the one we're going to give to. There's all sorts of dodgy ones who go collecting on rugby day. You have to be very careful nowadays. But the Help for Heroes, people, people give to. £45 million in a bank account, which I can understand... But uh, people around them have said, listen, there's so much money coming in, they can't keep up with it. They're building all these places to house all the soldiers. They've got empty beds. And who the heck is Ronnie Pickering? This was the, this was the video that's gone viral. We'll tell you the story a bit later on. Uh, plus the largest pyramid, not in Egypt, you may be surprised to learn. The Nile is not the world's longest river. And Jingle Bells wasn't written for Christmas. What in God's name is it written for? We'll tell you a little bit later on. And um, The Drunken Prisoners, filmed in the shocking jail party. And Homosexual, that's Homer as in Simpson, Smithers comes out to Mr Burns. It's a a shocking indication of the way television is plunging the new depths, ladies and gentlemen. Helen Mirren says she's not going to go topless. Thank God for that. I mean, really, we don't want that kind of thing. And uh, Back Pain which many of you suffer from, uh, the six golden rules to fight it. All of that and more on LBC for the early breakfast show. Uh, Plus, yesterday... Oh, yesterday. God, we were so tired yesterday. We were so tired. We had an an interview booked in. When when we book in the In Conversation guests, uh, what they generally do is they send me a text or an email and they go, uh, we've got uh, so-and-so been offered to you for next week, whoever it happens to be, and uh, this is the time. And so I then go, yes, if it's too late, I generally speaking say, can't they make it earlier? I normally have an 11 o'clock cut-off rule because I've been here since 20 to 3 in the morning. So I always think by the time you get to 11 o'clock, I'm practically a zombie. I'm walking around. I've got no idea what's going on at all. So yesterday, myself and Will had a meeting and, uh, and then he sort of toddled off to attempt to go to bed, which didn't kind of work out the way it should have done. And I was booked to talk to Sir Tom Jones. And he was booked to come in at 12.30. So even by anybody's standards, 12.30, people do tend to say to me after about 11, what are you still doing here? And I tend to say, I've got an interview to do. But every person I told, you know, they said, who are you doing today? And I went, Tom Jones. They went, are you really? I went, yep, certainly am. Tom Jones, the legend, the voice, 
coming into the studio, and he's got an autobiography, and he's got an album out as well, which ties in to the autobiography. Now, having followed Tom's career for many, many years and knowing all about the uh, the early days of him growing up, how at 16 he was a father, he was singing almost semi-professionally by the age of 15, he was out there doing gigs, and uh, Joe Meek was the man who recorded Tom Jones for the first time, and I think some of those you'll find on, on YouTube. But anyway, so... 12.30, well, come 11, I am wandering around like, like divvies. I mean, I just, I didn't know where I was, I had no idea, I had some coffee, and then I had a couple of caramel biscuits just to keep the sugar levels up, because I was in danger of sort of plunging under. And it had been a fairly stressful morning all round, and so anyway, so 12.30 comes, and Tom's running a little bit late, only a few minutes late. So we set the studio up, it's all geared up, he's got three interviews to do, me... Uh, one of our sister stations, in fact, two of our sister stations. But because I've been around the longest in terms of how many hours I've been on the premises, they like to get me uh, in for the first interview. So, and luckily I knew the record plugger anyway. So, of course, I was in, I was in fairly safe hands. Well, I have to tell you that before I do any of these interviews, I always go onto the internet and I do two things. Firstly, I look at what they're, what they're flogging to me. In his case, it's his autobiography, his first He's never done one before. There's been lots of biographies about Tom Jones, but there's never been an autobiography. And this is warts and all. This is everything. Everything is in this book. So if you want to know everything about him, this is, this is the book to get. And so I don't, I don't read books. I'll have a cursory glance through. What I tend to do is go to the internet, I drag off things which I think are relevant, plus based on my knowledge of somebody and some of the stories I know, then I can get an interview out of it. And I wasn't sure because I've never seen him being interviewed. I've never done an interview with him before. I've never met him. He could not have been better. He could not have... He was very, very chatty. But and we did discuss this all the way through, as you'll see when you eventually get to see the uh, the video. I mean, really, really, uh, really, really good. Really, really good. He was. We, we chatted about the early days uh, in Wales. We talked about the group he was in. We talked about Joe Meek. We talked about America. We talked about Elvis Presley. We talked just about everything that you could weave in. We talked about the fact that he did have a dip at one point. He wasn't fashionable. He was still touring, but the records weren't selling. And his son, Mark... Very, very instrumental in, in getting him to record with the art of noise and stuff like that. So it, it was a really, really good interview. And I mean, I, I don't always say that. They're always good interviews. This one was really good because, you know, he's over 70. Well, he looked fantastic. So he looked fantastic. He sounded fantastic. And I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. You'll get to hear that not this week, but I think next week. Because this weekend, it's a musical fest. And it's Leslie Brickus. The man behind. It ties in nicely. Tom, of course, did the last male song for a Bond film, which was Thunderball. Sam Smith is currently number one in the charts with his song, which does sound a bit like Michael Jackson's Earth song. And Leslie Brickus wrote Goldfinger. Plus, so many, he also wrote My Old Man's a Dustman. So Leslie Brickus, the man who knows everybody, a legend in songwriting terms, is going to be with me this weekend. He's got uh, his autobiography out as well. And the Osmonds are in as well. So that's this week, the Osmonds and Leslie Brickus. It's a musical fest, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, today I'm going to be recording with Amanda Holden, who's coming in. Tomorrow it's going to be Wilbur Smith, best-selling author. Delighted that he's, uh, he's coming in. And Chris Tarrant. Next week they booked me in Phil Collins. They said, 
Uh, Phil, Phil would like to come in and have a chat to you. I said, absolutely fine. No problem whatsoever. Just bring him in. Bring him in, please. Because um, I have a story about seeing Phil Collins years and years ago at the Royal Albert Hall. So you've got to have a story if you want to talk to some of these people. So that was it. So by the time I got home yesterday, uh, I think I left here. So how much? 22, 1. It was about five past one when I finished. And by the time I got back to the station, or the time I got home, I didn't really know where I was. I was having a bit of a strange day. And my brother had sent me a text because uh, he works for a company, the big company, uh, that were having a clear out of management. They're having big cutbacks in his company. And a month ago, he'd said to me, he said, I've got to apply for my job again. And I went, oh, no. You always worry about it. When you, know, you get to a certain age, and he's at that certain age, uh, you worry about about getting another job or what they're going to do. If he'd actually been paid off, he actually would have got you know quite a lot of redundancy money. But if truth be known, he'd rather have the job. Well, I think he'd rather have the job. So anyway... So he then sent me a thing saying, uh, I've had to apply for my, my job again. We had a chat about it. And then yesterday he sent me a text saying, I've got the job. He said it means a bit of re- retraining. Same money, same everything else. Basically what they've done is they've sort of cut people out in different branches. and Because uh, it's the bank. And uh, so you've got one person doing two people's jobs. So in other words, multitasking. So he's got to learn to do the other person's job as well. So more work, same money, but at least it's a job. And I talked to him yesterday about it. And I said, how do you feel about... He said, I don't know, actually, really. He said, I was, I was almost looking forward to getting the redundancy and, uh, and going in a different direction. But now they've offered me the job, he said. I couldn't be seen to be ungrateful. So he's actually got it. And uh, I suppose in, in a roundabout way, he's actually fairly happy. So that was good. My godson is driving, as you know. Pleases his girlfriend. But the one thing he didn't have in the car was hands-free. And I heard Darren say earlier on that he's got three points on his licence for hands-free. I have three points as well on my licence. If we're all fessing up, I have three points on my licence for being on the phone. I wasn't actually on the phone, although the very act of holding the phone is tantamount to being on the phone. And I'll tell you, it happened ages ago. And I was coming into Twickenham and... um, and I just got past the station. I'm literally within three minutes of being at home. And Lynn phoned me. And I picked up the phone. I went, I'm on my way back. I'll see you in a minute. And as I put the phone down, I looked up. And there was the biggest copper I've ever seen standing by the side of the road. He must have been six foot eight if he was an inch. And he went, oi. They're like that when they're about 18. Oi. And so, uh, over there. So he pulls me in. I thought, oh, God, I'm going to get a right old rollicking for this one, aren't I? I could just tell. I could just tell. And uh, so I get out of the car and he goes, um, you know why I've stopped you? I said, yeah, abso- absolutely. I said, I, I, lit- I explained what I was doing. But as Clive Bull has explained countless times on the programme, if you're caught for doing something, it's no good arguing your way out of it. You might as well be honest and say to them, yes, I did do it. Let's, let's you know, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the rap on the knuckles. And I thought maybe because he looked about 12, he might have just told me off, in which case you have to stand there and be like a naughty schoolboy. But no, he gets his book out. Oh, here we go. We're going through. He's, he's definitely going to book me for this. So I thought, well, there's, I can't do anything about it. I, I did pick up the telephone. I was holding it. The physical act of holding your telephone, even to look at a text. If you take your hand off the wheel, technically, you're supposed to have two hands on the wheel. And if you take it off the wheel, then they can do you for it. So anyway, so I got done for it, which was 100 quid, three, uh, three penalty points, and your insurance goes up a little bit. But uh, when I went to the police station, because you have to take your licence in and stuff like that, it was, it was very interesting because the woman behind the counter said, 
he stopped you for just doing that? I said, yes. I said, I thought I was just going to get told off. And uh, I said, is he new? She said, well, I'd never seen him before. I said, he's a policeman, isn't he? You, know, you have to ask these things. So she said, yeah, she said, but, you know, that, that's obviously, he hasn't got anything better to do. She almost apologised for him to say, you know, it's, it is a bit silly, isn't it? It is a little bit silly. But anyway, I, I, I fessed up to it, held out my hands, and so I, I took the rap. The, but the funny thing was that, that um, when he pulled me in, of course, my car being fairly big and fairly obvious, you know, people going past on the, uh, on the, the buses were absolutely thrilled absolutely thrilled because they love things like that it's like watching a car like mine broken down you know that that's people would really enjoy that as well they could derive great pleasure they go ha 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 so i never laugh at people who've broken down just in case it happens to me but um he said to me he said uh because uh, they ask you everything about the car you know is this your car all that sort of stuff of course it's my car what do you think i've just nicked it but you don't like to be clever or facetious so i just go with it i just go with it go yes fine it is so he said uh, manual or automatic I said, why it would make any difference? I've got no idea. Well, I said, they don't make it in manual. It only comes in automatic. So I thought that put him in his place. I felt a bit better afterwards. But anyway, I, I paid the price for it. I've been very good since. Very good since. But my uh, my godson doesn't want to get caught on his phone either. The one thing you don't want to get caught at if you're a young driver is being on the telephone. And so uh, I bought him a hands-free. They're very cheap. It just clicks onto the visor. You Bluetooth it, and it means that he can chat to his girlfriend in the car but keep his hands on the wheel. So that was my good deed for yesterday. And he sent me a text saying, thank you so much for my present. So for the sake of 15 quid, you make somebody very happy. Time check, 17 past four. 4.20, the time on Nick Ferrari's programme this morning. What did you make of Richard Heller? Sorry, I mean Jeremy Corbyn's speech. Because there is, uh, <laughs> truth be told, this looks like it was part nicked from ages ago. Renewed calls for Britain to pay billions in reparations for slavery... Should we cough up? And they'll be talking to a Thunderbird as the kids' TV phenomenon celebrates 50 years. They've got uh, Parker, who will be chatting to Nick. And that's David Graham. Yes, my lady. And they've also got Sylvia Anderson. Parker. She played uh, she played Lady Penelope. So that's Sylvia Anderson, who's the... Uh, uh, Sylvia's ex-husband and co-creator, Jerry, died in uh, 2012. But she's still going fast. I think she's still got a Lady Penelope. So uh, I know quite a bit about... Um, Quite a bit about Thunderbirds. Nice to have you company this morning. Trust you are well. A little bit chilly out there, but, I mean, who cares? And then Rob in Luton, the millionaire's playground of Luton, and a hotbed of crime, says you're a criminal, are you? Well, obviously, yes, because I picked up my telephone. Yes, absolutely. Disgraceful, is it? Do you think I've got my record? Do you think I'll be shot? Do you think they'll take me out and shoot me? I don't know. You have to be very careful on things like that. But as somebody said earlier on, they see people on the motorway all the time on the telephones. I see it. Uh, but, uh, as I say, alert my lesson. I wouldn't ever, uh, ever do that again. Which is, uh, which is always good news, isn't it? Always good news. Uh, Tam's in Glasgow. You poor soul, honestly. Look at your picture. Was that taken at the police station? Or was that sort of taken after they wanted you when you went on the run? Difficult to tell, isn't it? Uh, 84850, uk. And uh, James says, they seek him here, they seek him there, they seek him just about everywhere. He's not the Messiah, but he can be a very naughty boy. And he's ours at LBC every morning. Uh, your story, says Ian, reminds me of the song Seven Little Girls Sitting in the Back Seat, Hugging and a-Kissing with Fred. It was done by... Well, actually, there, were, there was various versions. Timmy Mallet did a version of Seven Little Girls Sitting in the Back Seat. Seven little girls sitting in the back seat, kissing and hugging with Fred. So why don't one of you come home and sit beside me? And this is what the seven girls said. All together now, one, two, three. Keep your hands on, you're driving and you're... And so it goes on. But I can't remember who actually sang it. 
No doubt uh, the producer will find out for me. Uh, Helen Mirren is not going to go topless anymore. Thank the Lord for that. She'd be wheeling her boobs around in wheelbarrows, I should imagine. Uh, the drunken prisoners filmed in a shocking jail party. It's like a life of Riley in there, isn't it? It's absolutely a life of Riley. Far from it being a crime, Nick Ferrari is going to be talking this morning about a woman who murdered uh, a paedophile. Um, he didn't go to court. Um, they sort of let him off. And uh, it's, it's, this is an interesting one. This woman, jailed for three and a half years, they said could be out within a few months. A few months. So uh, that was... Uh, can I sing the song? No, I'm not singing the song again. No, you just want to hear me singing badly, and I don't sing at all. It's called Seven Little Girls. And that's all I can tell you. Seven Little Girls sitting in the back seat. And it was done by the Avons. The Avons. Anybody else did it? I think there must be all seven little girls written by Bob Hilliard and Lee Pocris. Recorded by the Avons and at the same year, 1959, by Paul Evans. It was actually, uh, the, the, the lyrics were sort of somewhat different. But I'm sure Timmy Mallet definitely did seven little girls as well. I'm pretty certain. It's a, it's a cute little song. And if you remember the 50s, it's, uh, it's, be doo be dum dum be doo be dum dum be doo be dum 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 boop be doo be seven little girls. <laughs> it's the best you're going to get this morning. And there's Timmy Mallet. And he did the seven little girls, but I think it was, oh no, he did bomb, as, as, he was, bomb ballerina was Timmy Mallet. That, that's what they, they decided to call the, uh, the group. And so, uh, anyway, he's so irritating, isn't he? <laughs> Something about Timmy Mallet. Do you remember Timmy Mallet? Do you remember, who did it? Was it Noel Mallet's Mallet? Do you remember um, when you were a kid? But Noel Edmonds did a programme on the television where he spoofed um, celebrities. And so the Timmy Mallet one was the fact that Timmy Mallet was booked to do a gig. And everywhere he went, he took his mallet with him. Mallet's Mallet. And it came in a case like sort of a, a cloth bag or something. So he's sitting in the back of the car. And anyway, the uh, the car breaks down, pretend breaks down. And so the driver, very bolshy, goes, you'll have to get out and walk, mate. He goes, you'll have to get out and walk. And so Timmy Mallet goes, I can't get out and walk. I'm Timmy Mallet. I'm Timmy Mallet. And so it's a bit like Ronnie Pickering. Who are you? You're a nobody. And so Timmy Mallet goes, I'm not getting out. He says, you'll have to, mate, because the car's broken. And he's being a bit bolshy. And it was hilarious. And the whole thing was based on the fact that celebrities who are so far up their own rear ends will not actually come into the real world. But it was it was the funniest thing ever. I mean, you cringed at the same time in the same way that when was it? uh, It was Beetle did the thing with the bloke who parked his car. Beetle's about he parked his car by um, a lagoon or something like that. Anyway, um, he then went off to do something and they swapped the car with an identical one. So it looked the same. It had no engine or anything else in. And there was a bloke driving a crane. And this, the bloke who owns the car is coming back across the water on a little boat. And he sees the crane slowly reversing into his car. And he stands there and goes, no, no, no. And, of course, the crane driver, who's in on the gag, reverses into the shell car and drops it. Well, this bloke, I thought he was going to have a seizure. It was so funny. It was so funny. Go, you just put my car in. The crane driver goes, well, you shouldn't have parked it there, mate, should you? And it, it, that was the whole basis of it. It was the fact that the crane driver basically blamed the bloke for parking his car there. And then, of course, Jeremy Beadle arrives. He'll go, oh, no. By that time, you've nearly had the heart attack. But it was, it was very funny. I like things like that. Noel's house party used to do loads of those things. The gotchas. 
Oh, the gotchas were fantastic. They did Dale Winton on one of them. He ends up going on a motorbike or something with a vicar. He must have known. You can't not know these things. We're all sensible. Would we ever be caught out? I don't know. The producer comes in every morning, tells me he's a producer. I've bought into it for a number of years now, so it's obviously right. I will be telling you later on why Jingle Bells was not written for Christmas. Cowboys didn't wear Stetsons. The largest pyramid is not in Egypt. That didn't actually come as a surprise to me. And the Nile isn't the world's longest river. I'll be giving the answers to those ones a little bit later on. Plus, we'll find out who the hell Ronnie Pickering is. Answer, he's nobody. He's an absolute nobody. But it's gone viral. The bloke who took the video of it sold it to an American firm uh, for, I think, $300. And for every hit that they get on it, he gets more money. It's what people, that's why people film stuff now and put it up on YouTube. Thank God I'm hardly on YouTube at all. Uh, the Bakewell is our top tart, just when you thought it was Jessica Wright. I know, little Jessica. And, and the tractor trap, ready for a crop of speeding tickets. There's one thing I'm very good at, and that is not speeding. I'm more than happy for cars to pass me on the motorway. Seriously, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. Couldn't care less. My car can do 140 miles an hour. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. But uh, do I push it for that? No, can't be bothered, actually. Can't really be bothered. I'd rather watch other people pootling past me. And they do want to pootle past me. They do want to over... For some reason, the car has got that kind of envy factor that people go, I've got to say to people... I've just guess who I've just overtaken. I've just overtaken Steve Allen. And uh, whilst I get the phone thing, the two hands on the wheel issue is odd, says Linda. I smoke and certainly don't um, keep it in my mouth, a la my granddad. Do you remember people years ago did used to keep cigarettes in their mouths? They could actually smoke a whole cigarette without touching it. You put it in your mouth and it kind of stays there. And when I used to smoke years and years and years ago, I tried that once and the, the smoke would go in your eyes. I never quite understand. People who do roll-ups. Where was I yesterday? Somebody was rolling up cigarettes. And I always think to myself, why do people roll up cigarettes? Because I used to have a little machine that rolled. I'd had one that looked like a little tobacco tin. And you put the, the paper in there, and then you put the tobacco on the top, and then you squeeze the tin shut, as far as I remember. And then it, it put this piddly little cigarette. I mean, seriously, hardly worth bothering, you know, compared to what they're like when they're made professionally. But um, I enjoyed the smoking. I really, really enjoyed the smoking. I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch a cigarette now. I'm not, uh, not, not bothered at all. Uh, Brian Hyland sang Seven Little Girls. I don't think he did. Brian Highland was sealed with a kiss. I don't remember Brian Highland doing seven little girls seated on the back seat. And Helen said, you could have a special singing show once a week. Your singing has me in stitches. I love the way people don't take my singing seriously. I get quite hurt by that because I think I'm not bad. In fact, when I, when I sing at Christmas, and I was telling Courtney the other day that I do enjoy singing at Christmas. I do, I do the carols and everything else. And, uh, and, I, and people have said to me, you're, you're actually not, not bad. For a cat that's being strangled. And uh, and I said, well, I don't think I'm a bad singer. I'm not a brilliant singer. I've heard some lovely people sing. You go to some of the Disney movie things, and I bought the Disney album, which has got, f we've got four CDs of people's, and you think, oh, I wish I could sing like that. Uh, Danny Milo, I'm very jealous about this swimming with sharks. He went swimming with sharks the other day. He'd obviously had a little bit of a, mis a, a malfunction, I think they call it, with his, uh, with his wetsuit. <laughs> Can't take your eyes off it, actually, Danny, can we? And uh, he'll be getting up this morning to go to work. Everybody gets up to work this morning. Jordan will be getting up, going to work. That's not, that's not Jordan as in Jordan Glamour model. That's Jordan Hemingway. Uh, Simon will be heading on his way home now, going, ooh, what should I get in? Shall I have toast? Tea and toast. Ooh, I could do buttered toast now. Buttered toast would be lovely. But then I always get guilt trips. I get, I get shouted at in the office. I'm sitting opposite this guy called Adrian, who looks after our 
website, computer stuff and things like that. And he goes, what are you, what are you doing? He goes, what are you doing? I go, I'm eating. So why are you eating that? He said, you're a diabetic. You're not supposed to be eating it. I had this caramel thing the other day. And he went, what are you doing, for, what are you doing with that? I said, I'm eating it. He said, you're a diabetic. I get the same from James O'Brien. They shout at me. Honestly, at my age, it's ridiculous. 4.30. Steve Allen on LBC. 26 minutes to five. It's Wednesday, 30th of September. I must read you a letter later on, which came in from uh, somebody that I used to see on LBC years ago. The reason he's, he's written to me is because he's got a book which he says, I think will be of interest to you. And when I tell you what the book is, it'll be of interest to you as well, because it's something that we've talked about on the programme. Uh, Adrian, here in uh, La Belle France. Oh, you must know Bryn and Annie. He says, in addition to seven little girls, Paul Evans did the itsy, bitsy, teeny, weeny, yellow polka dot bikini that she wore for the first time today. An itsy, witsy, itsy, bitsy, teeny, weeny, yellow polka dot bikini. And a very nice but now forgotten hushabye little guitar. Oh, that sounds quite sweet, doesn't it? Hushabye little guitar. I'll tell you what, when we talked to, uh, to Tom Jones yesterday, his recall is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I know that he's had to uh, to do his autobiography, but it really is. I mean, his recall is fantastic. He remembers, you know, the times that he met uh, Elvis, because him and Elvis, when they were working Vegas, uh, Elvis would be at the Hilton, and I think Tom was at Caesars. They would meet up afterwards at Elvis's house, he said, and we would eat, he said, and then we'd jam into the early hours of the morning. They'd just sing songs. Imagine how, I mean, you know, just the very fact, I said, the reason we're all jealous of you, I said, is because of, of, because of Presley. You actually met Elvis Presley. I mean, that would be, that's the ultimate gift. I know a couple of people listening at the moment who would have killed to meet Elvis Presley, but he's still in contact, Tom, with Priscilla. And he's done a song on the album, which is a, a tribute to Elvis Presley. He said towards the end, he would he put on a lot of weight and um, and he wasn't performing at his best. He'd sort of got a little bit lazy. He said, but it was still Elvis Presley. And I said, you're absolutely right, it was Elvis Presley. Uh, One here from Noreen. Morning. She says, we went to see Phil Collins at Earl's Court many years ago. At the start, I could hear his voice, but couldn't see him. I said to Brian, where is he? Next to you, says Brian. Then there was the time we went all the way to Paris to see Genesis. We went for a few days. Did Euro Disney. Meet in the centre of Paris in the evening to go to the show. To be told the show's been cancelled due to a lorry driver strike. All the band's gear was still in Nice. So we're seeing Brian Highland in the spring with Peter Noon. Still great. You see, Noreen loves these 60 shows. She absolutely loves the 60 shows. Um, I didn't see the programme which was on last night. And uh, Tony... From Sunny Weymouth, he says, yeah, not not right now, I re- realise. He says, after you mentioned yesterday about the embalming programme on Channel 5, Body Donors, I saw it last night, had me in tears. I guess you'll probably have been in Noddyland when it was on. Stomach churning and sad and enlightening and moving and difficult and devastating all in one. Would certainly recommend you watch it on Catch Up, but make sure you've had your breakfast first. You may find you wish to donate yourself to medical research. Well, actually, to be honest with you, I don't want this to go any further, but I've, I've donated Christo's body to medical research. <laughs> he doesn't know about it. I've just filled his name and address in and uh, sent it off with a, with a picture. And, so, uh, and I've said he's available any time now. You know, take him now for medical research. I just love the idea of people, the embalmers, turning up at Christo's place to take him away, going, oh, you're alive, which, of course, could be debatable. <laughs> 84850, steve at What was I going to do there? Oh, I was going to look through some of the papers because there are, um, there are stories in the papers this morning which, and, and I'm feeling in a particularly good mood. 
in a particular, which is unusual for a Wednesday, because normally by Wednesday I've, I've degenerated into a very, very bad mood. But in fact, I'm in a, I'm in a particularly good mood today. In fact, because I saw Dan, my favourite bus driver, together with Miguel and together with Nikki as well. Nikki says I'm not the best looking, but she can spot me from a distance, which I quite like. And so I get on their buses. Dan drives around our way, but might be doing something else. So his, his life's going quite well. Well, apart from the other thing which we were talking about, but that, that, that's resolved, isn't it? That's all, all sorted out. So uh, I saw him this morning. I could, there was a bloke getting on the bus, one bloke getting on the bus. So Dan and I, if, he, if ever he's driving, he'll pull in and we have a little chat for a few minutes. You could see this bloke sitting on the bus thinking, how long are these two going to be gossiping? As long as he's on time getting back to the depot, you know, fine. Uh, Ian says, when I went scuba diving, we wore either wet or dry suits. Wet suits trap a layer of water inside the suit. Dry suits require you to wear long johns. Well, I don't know if Mr Milo is wearing long johns. It's a bit (laughs) bit difficult to tell. He might have to tell me about that um, because I'm I'm really not sure. Really not sure uh, whether or not he was. But he he sort of he seems to be fairly action packed. The quickest way, I thought you had to, with a wetsuit, was I right in saying that you're supposed to cover yourself in talcum powder before you put it on? Because they're fairly tight and a bit unforgiving. Apparently the quickest way to get warm with a wetsuit is to have a pee on going into the water. What, in the suit? Oh, I'm not sure about that. I don't think Danny got around to that bit. Well, if he did, he didn't mention it in his tweets. <laughs> that would be fun. Uh, <laughs> what else have we got this way? Oh, so I'm going to tell you about that book later on. I will tell you that we have a, a free podcast. Uh, which is coming up later on this morning. And and I am going to tell you about Make Some Noise, because that's coming up next week on LBC, when we endeavour to make as much money as possible in one day. I think most of the presenters, those that are, that are here at the moment, will be entering into the spirit of it and offering themselves up as prizes for various different things. Uh, my one involves food. So that gives you a rough idea. My one involves food. I've done it before. I've done something so the producer is so excited. He thinks he's going to be coming along. So to keep him sweet, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's all, that's all cool. And uh, he thinks that's good. And I bumped into Courtney yesterday, who you know, works our, our front door downstairs for many, many, many years. And he was the one who gave me the Christmas album. And I said to him yesterday, I said, I, I, I talked about you on the programme. I said, because I, um, I'm playing it in the car and singing it. He thinks it's hilarious. He thinks it's absolutely hilarious that somebody, somebody is interested in Christmas songs at this time of year. But I said it just plays well on the um, on the car stereo. It really does. Uh, Thomas in Dorset says, looking forward to Phil Collins in conversation with you. Made my morning already. Yeah, I'm, I'm so looking forward to meeting him. I've never met him. Never met him. He was in Buster, wasn't he? Didn't he do the... He did a song, Groovy Kind of Love. When I'm feeling blue, all I have to do is take a look at you. Then I'm not so blue. Well, I heard you and so it goes on. So we'll have a chat to uh, to him next week on the programme. We've got some fabulous guests coming up. I mean, really, really fabulous guests. And the reason they want to come and talk to us, A, because they can do lots of radio stations in one building. But secondly, they get so much coverage because In Conversation is repeated. And and we film it for the video as well. So you get to, to see the people in action, in action. Uh, so Cliff's back on stage and the fans, as I predicted and as I told you, uh, were absolutely delighted. Uh, Cliff's fans will follow him to the ends of the earth. They did a rather cruel little review in, I think, the mail where he said he walked on stage uh, with inch-thick makeup on and glittery black shoes at 7.45. But they followed him for years. The Cliff fans are very loyal. 
they don't, they're not interested in anything that has gone on in the past. It's Cliff Richard, he's up on the stage, he's 74, he's still grooving, and the fans loved it. And that's all he has to do. I don't know if he sang Silvery Rain, which was one of my favourites. Fly away, Peter. Doing a lot of singing on the programme this morning. This is not good, is it? My boss will be going, what are you singing for? He told me yesterday morning exactly what time he tunes in. So at, so at 5.29 this morning, we're going to be particularly good. OK, we're going to race through and we're going to do the thing about the pyramids and thing. Yeah, we've been morning, James. You know, as he stands in the shower, take the image out of your mind. OK, uh, Cliff Richard, uh, doing very well. One lady from Devon says, I've been a fan since I was 16. He is the Peter Pan of pop. Listen, what he does is he sings. That, and when you get singers like Tom Jones... Like, you know, loads of professional singers that we have on the programme, like Cliff Richard, like anybody like that, like the ones that Noreen goes to see. It puts into perspective just how silly programmes like The X Factor are. You know, these people aren't... They, these people couldn't survive singing, you know, eight shows a week, whereas Tom Jones is still singing. He's still packing them in. He's still, you know... He's still doing the business, and and Cliff does exactly the same. He does his shows, he does his concerts, because that's what he does for a living. The one thing that Tom and I said, because he said, uh, oh, he said, I'm the same as you. He said, uh, we both love what we're doing, and we do, he said, I said, that's what we do. If somebody says, you know, can you stick around till four o'clock to do Tom Jones? I said, there's no chance of me doing that at all. I said, I'd have to go home and come back again. But I said, I would definitely do it, because that's what I do for a living. And he said, yeah, he said, he, he actually gets annoyed when people don't pull their their weight. And I can well imagine, I can well imagine why that would be, because it, it would just annoy somebody. Jim Carrey's girlfriend makes the front of a, quite a number of papers here. Quite clearly a troubled soul. Uh, they uh, This is uh, Catriona White, uh, originally from Ireland. Uh, they'd been out, they'd not been out, they'd been out, they'd not been out. I think they'd split up a few times. Uh, she left a note... They say she signed off Twitter by writing, I hope I've been a light to my nearest and dearest. And then she did sort of a rabbit and heart to to yo all. That was her final uh, message on her Twitter account posted last Thursday. She's understood to have found life difficult in America. When her father died of a brain tumour, she was unable to return home for his funeral. I mean, it's it's terrible, really, because she's I mean, 30 is just nothing, just nothing at all. Uh, They don't know. At the moment, I don't think they've actually confirmed that she did take her own life. But uh, but a shock for everybody, a shock for everybody when when it's somebody famous's girlfriend. Gary Lineker's mother died. You know that he uh, he left to go home because his mother wasn't uh, wasn't too good, and she died the other day. So that makes all the papers. Uh, then there was Mr. Corbyn's speech the other, uh, the other day, which a lot of people are saying this this harks back to the 1980s. It was a little bit a battle cry from the 80s. Obviously, the crowd liked him in the hall because they would do. They're the party faithful. And and they clapped and did a standing ovation, and uh, he seemed to quite enjoy it. Uh, Diane Abbott turned up looking like a sack of potatoes, but that's the size she is, she can't help it, wearing the most peculiar outfit in Brighton yesterday. I mean, she looks like a, a badly made sofa, and that's about the best that you can you can describe. And the uh, the male have done this uh, this picture of Peach's sister and a tender embrace with her brother-in-law. This, is, this was the one, you were quite right, uh, people said to me the other day, that uh, this was their, they had a weekend away. And I think it was also uh, during Sir Bob's uh, wedding trip. And uh, Tiger Lily is embracing her brother-in-law. 
But it's not... Ju- and somebody said, oh, because it's like brother and sister. And I said yesterday, it don't look like that to me. I mean, I've seen brothers and sisters. They don't... You don't hug somebody with your eyes closed, do you? Is that is that normal? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, it wouldn't actually be beyond reasonable doubt that they might hook up together. Who knows? I've got no idea. I've got no idea. It just looks a little bit... You know, they're in the sea, frolicking together. And it just... It's kind of not sitting very well with me at the moment. I'm just... There are nagging doubts. But I like nagging doubts. I like nagging doubts. That's always quite good. I'm always fairly good at reading body language. And I don't think you hold people like this. If it's just brother and sister. And then some, the other day they were saying, oh, they look out for each other. What do you mean they look out for each other? He's the brother-in-law, for God's sake. Uh, the inmate who walks out of prison for a night of passion with his wife in a hotel. This is a guy called Douglas Ward who dodged four roll calls at North Sea Camp Prison in Lincolnshire, and he was checking into a Grade 2 listed boutique hotel. He's serving more than five years for firearms offences, and he was out there, but I love the description of his girlfriend from the, from the manager. Um, wait a minute, well, I've got to find it, actually, which is very interesting. Um, that's right. The court heard that Ward's wife checked in using the name Ellen Thompson and was described by the hotel manager as having an orange complexion um, as if she used fake tan and what he took to be very large breast implants. <laughs> in other words, somebody who was very, very chav. But then she would be, actually. I'm looking at a picture of her. But uh, they managed to get the room for free after claiming that he had to go to hospital when an antique chair collapsed as he sat at a desk. He then negotiated a second free night, she did, after claiming her husband couldn't drive them back to their home in Darlington because his ankle was swollen. But by then, staff became suspicious because he looks like a bit of a wrong'un. And uh, he was wearing a, a crepe bandage on his leg, not the type that would be given out in hospital. The manager was a bit suspicious, uh, checked on Facebook and noticed that his profile showed he was living at Strangeways. So uh, he got caught, and uh, there you go. Uh, Mrs Ward, who was convicted last year of conning a dementia sufferer out of 2,500, was not charged over the hotel incident, but she has form as well. So there you go, but uh, back in prison and a little bit longer, I think, in there. The one person who got loads of coverage over the rugby is uh, Chris Robshaw's girlfriend, that's Camilla Kurzlake, who's done everything she can to try and elevate her profile. And I'm going to have to elevate my profile because I'm now so late... It's now 12 minutes to five. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to have you company. Ten to five is uh, the time. Uh, Rob says Chris Cornell was the last male Bond singer, not Tom Jones. But nobody remembers him, do they? You ask anybody out there. Got to number eight in Austria, was it? And number seven in this country. But uh, I think Tom got higher with Thunderball. Tom got higher with Thunderball. Uh, looking forward, Steve, as indeed I've tons of, uh, of your texts and emails on this one, to Phil Collins's In Conversate. Me too. Dell says, I always close my eyes when I hug one of my sisters. It makes them better looking. <laughs> I've never heard of that, actually, before. People closing their eyes. But they're in the sea. That makes me feel slightly queasy. Slightly queasy. And uh, up early... Getting stuff ready, says Tyrone. I've been swimming with sharks in Florida. Couldn't get the Jaws theme. Is this where you sort of go into a cage? Is this where you go into a cage and then the sharks swim around? It doesn't interest me in the slightest. I've always worried about great whites. Because these things are so big and they hurtle up from the depths of nowhere. Pitch black and then out of the darkness comes this huge thing. Absolutely huge thing. But uh, he said, I'm just having hot buttered toast and a fresh American-made Americano. 
He says, I've got a new espresso machine, which is nice, isn't it? Up early getting stuff ready in advance for Hate Crime Awareness Week, which is on the 10th of October, which is, it must be next uh, week Saturday. Week Saturday. Rugby uh, coming up this Saturday in Twickenham. It's Australia. I don't want to be the, um, I, I don't, I don't really want to, uh, to sort of say too much about it because I, I don't want to put, put the mockers on it and so that people go, oh, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, you know, we aren't going to win. And, um, and so, oh, where's it gone to? I've just lost the blooming thing here, actually. Oh, somebody said, uh, where is it? I've lost it. Where's it gone to? Goodness sake. Uh, Steve, the pictures, says uh, Jan, are of Tiger Lily's boyfriend. No, they're not. No, it's Thomas Cohen. She's hugging Thomas Cohen. It's known you're absolutely wrong on that one. Absolutely wrong. No, it's Thomas Cohen. I'm looking at the pictures here. This is Thomas Cohen and, uh, and Tiger Lily. Or Tom Cohen, as they call him. No, it's definitely not the boyfriend. No, 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 no. And do you ever get starstruck? Never. Never, 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 never. No. I, I don't get starstruck. I just get... Uh, it's other people who get very impressed with the people I'm talking to. I mean, over, you know, a number of years, you talk to loads of people. I don't get starstruck, because otherwise you'd sit there and you go... Uh, the only time I ever got starstruck, but it wasn't really starstruck. I'd, I'd overcompensated for myself, and I'd done too much research, because I was a fan, is when I went to do Julie Andrews. And I just sat there, and all I, and I'm listening to her talking... And and my mind was wandering. All I kept thinking was, it's Julie Andrews. It's, Ju- it's blooming Julie Andrews. And that's all I could think of. And I sat there and we did her in a lovely hotel on Venice Beach, uh, which was next door to a hotel called Shutters. And our one was a bit Andalusian. It was all tiles and it was lovely. Looked out over the ocean. It was, it was beautiful. And Julie Andrews turned up uh, to do this interview with me. I think she was scheduled to do two interviews. And all I could all I could think was oh, Julie Andrews. It's Ju- That's the only I, I, I promise you now the, the interview didn't last as long as I wanted it to, because I, I kind of I didn't know what to say. She she didn't elaborate on questions. She's she's quite clipped. She's quite she knows exactly what she's doing. I wouldn't be messing with Julie Andrews anytime soon. Put it that way. But that was the only person I've ever sat there thinking Julie Andrews. Blooming Julie Andrews. The rest of the people. The big I said yesterday to uh, to one of the girls in the office. I said the bigger the star the easier they are to talk to. The bigger they are, the easier they are to talk to. It's only the little people who are sort of, they, they start playing around, you think. So in other words, you know, groups kind of, it's its not really my bag. I couldn't do groups anyway. We don't have the facilities to do stuff like that. Uh, Phil in France was in Twickenham last Saturday for the Wales-England match. <laughs> I'm so thrilled. In the stadium, I saw Tom Jones being interviewed pitch side. The person next to me said, it's not unusual to see him at the rugby. Thank you. We've, we've heard all the gags, you know. Sorry? Here, here all week. That's right. Here all week. Seats at all prices. Start the car. <laughs> I love things like that. It always makes me laugh, actually. I don't know why it makes us laugh. It just does. Uh, the story of Eel Pie Island in the 1960s, the subject of a new documentary film called Rock and Roll Island. Uh, made last year, uh, Warren tells me, uh, with Arts Lottery funding. The producers are Aurora Metro, based in Twickenham. And the film's got contributions from Rod Stewart, Steve Hackett, Mick Avery, Phil May, Don Crane, Top Topham, and uh, even Gina Way, who runs the Eel Pie Club, makes an appearance. He's been nominated for Best Short Documentary in the Rain Dance Film Festival. Is that the, um... The, um... Oh, God, who do, does Rain Dance? Or is that another one? I can't remember now. No, that's probably Sundance Festival, isn't it? Rain Dance sounds great. And uh, the premiere screening will be this Saturday, 3rd of October, at 2pm at the View Cinema Piccadilly. Limited tickets 
and some of the music celebrities appearing in the film will be attending. And this Thursday, the Eel Pie Club have got from Ireland the amazing singer-songwriter Grania Duffy and her band. Full details on eelpieclub.com. Eelpieclub.com. I'm going to tell you about this book as well, uh, which they're going to be sending me a copy. And Keith Skinner wrote to me a very long letter, actually. Very long letter. And uh, he said, I've got this this book, which I'm sure you'll be interested in. I'm going to get them to send you a copy so that maybe you can sort of review it on the programme. Well, the moment I, I saw what the book was, of course, I became very interested. And I'll tell you the other side of the news, what, what the book is about, because I think you're going to like it as well. I think it's definitely going to be your sort of book. Um, also, in the papers for today, there's uh, the stars paying tribute to... Um, to Jim Carrey's gir- girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, Catriona. I think it was an on-off relationship, but then in Hollywood, most relationships are on-off. Um, Paul Gambaccini was at a radio festival the other day, and uh, he has accused the BBC bosses of snubbing him after he was cleared. Exactly. There was no charges to answer whatsoever. Absolutely nothing. In the same way, Jimmy Tarbuck, again, you know, arrested, as he said, on Loose Women. He said the police came round... He said, and they wanted the computer... 14 police officers turned up for Jimmy Tarbuck. And they wanted his computer. He said, I haven't got a computer. And they said, yes, you have. I said, no, I haven't got a computer. Which reminds me of a, of a friend of mine who lives in uh, Battersea here in London, which is quite a nice area. Quite a nice area. And um, and the, uh, the gas board wrote to him and said, you owe us £468 for gas. You didn't pay your last bill. And so he said to me, I don't have any gas. I said, "Listen, we, 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 I'm, I'm looking at the uh, the bill here in front of me. You need to you need to pay this bill to clear it up. Otherwise, we'll have to send somebody round." And so he said, "Well, you can send somebody round if you like." <laughs> he said, "You can send somebody round. It doesn't make any difference to me." He said, "He said, but I don't have any gas." And so she went, "Okay, have it your own way. Put the phone down." <laughs> Week later, somebody knocked on the door, and it was a bloke from the from the gas board. He said, "I've come to dis- disconnect your gas." So he said, "I haven't got any gas." They went. Thank you. And it showed him his card. So anyway, let him in. So he spends two minutes in the kitchen and he goes, you haven't got any gas. I said, I told you I haven't got any gas. He said, makes you look a bit stupid now, doesn't it, really? So uh, they had to go away. Had to hold their head in shame, hang their head in shame, because he didn't have any gas. But they were totally convinced that he had gas. Whereas I've got gas and electric. Gas for the uh, central heating, electric for all the, all the other stuff. Funny, isn't it? How they, they obviously get their wires t- crossed at some point and they, and they lose the plot and they go, well, I'm sorry, it says here. You know. <laughs> Steve, if I sat opposite, you'd still sit there going, it's Andrew Armstrong. It's Andrew Armstrong. <laughs> I would, actually. I would probably do that. Actually, the, but this, this story is Ronnie Pickering. Who's Ronnie Pickering? Does anybody... I mean, had you ever heard of Ronnie Pickering before? Had anybody ever heard of Ronnie Pickering? I mean, I hadn't heard of Ronnie Pickering, and I'm not sure... I mean, I wasn't sure if, if this is the gag. Is, is this the gag, and is this why it's gone viral? Because some bloke has an altercation with a guy in a car, and the guy in the car says, do you know who I am? And the bloke goes, no, I don't know who you are. And he says, I'm Ronnie Pickering. And this bloke goes, who's Ronnie Pickering? So he doesn't, he doesn't know who he is, and I don't know who Ronnie Pickering is. I'd never heard of him. I mean, is he supposed to be famous, or is this, or is this the gag that I'm missing? Is this the thing that I'm sort? Of, it's a gag. Is it? It's a gag that I'm, I'm sort of, I'm supposed to know who Ronnie Pickering is. So we'll come round to that in the next part of the program. Uh, also, Don Henley on spurning his wild past, wild past, uh, and also the the tractor trap. 
ready for a crop of speeding tickets. Yes, they've hit... They, they parked a, a tractor behind a tree and it just looks like a tractor parked behind a tree, which you would not think was unusual in the countryside, would you? But then this one's got a hidden agenda. It's hiding a speed camera. Um, inmate walks out of prison that night of passion we talked about. The, uh, the iPhone, tricky for left-handers. Hillary Clinton's secret plastic surgery and holidays on Mars are merely decades away. All of that and more this morning on LBC. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's Wednesday, the 30th of September. Praise be. Cliff is back on stage. The fans were out in force. The tour sold out very, very quickly. Everybody very happy. Please vow to ignore the new law on smoking in cars with children. How they're going to enforce this, I've got no idea. They've said they're not going to enforce it. They've got more than enough to do at the moment. And they're also trying to cut back, aren't they? Police cutbacks all over the place. Some of the plastic policemen could be going. How much money has Help for Heroes got in its bank account? It's all got a bit strange, this one. There's nothing peculiar about it. It's just that they've got so much money, they don't actually know what to do with it. And they've got loads and loads of empty beds. Uh, Meet the eccentrics who revel in boring hobbies and Jingle Bells was not written for Christmas. What was it written for? You're here this morning. And who the heck is Ronnie Pickering? Answer, he's quite clearly nobody. But uh, Steve says uh, in uh, in Brid, Lington, three of my favourite comedy songs, My Little Bubble Car. I've never heard of My Little Bubble Car. My Little Bubble Car. Somewhere in the back recesses of my mind, there's something about a little bubble car. Is that the one? Oh, no. What was the song that goes? So riding in my, I don't know, little, oh, along came a little bubble car. Was it was somebody riding in a, see, all, the, all of a sudden, the, the old cogs are stirring. And I, th- <laughs> I think we're going to wipe the cobwebs off them. I think it's, and he kept on bibbing his horn, beep, beep. Oh, it's beep, beep, is it, by the Playmates? Look at that. How am I supposed to know things like that? I'm getting better and better, you know. Sometimes you, you sort of, you crank yourself up and out comes an answer. Uh, Camp Granada by Alan. Uh, this was the uh, one. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. <laughs> Somebody just said to me, why are you singing so much on the programme? I said, I've got no idea. I don't normally do It's not my kind of thing. And In My Garden of Love by Benny Hill, which I think is a classic. Not everybody knows it. Nobody knows it. But I'm sure it's Beep Beep, the little bubble car. The little bubble car was right behind. Kept on beeping his own beep beep. Yes, it's beep beep by the Playmates. God, I'm good. You know, sometimes it's a gift, isn't it, really? You think to me, I mean, how much more information can one man hold in his head? And the answer is quite a lot, and it regurgitates at all the wrong time. Sometimes you'll be sitting there talking to somebody, and it, it could be Tom Jones, it could be Phil Collins, it could be anybody, and you go, wait, oh, I've just thought of something. So they're, they're telling me a story, and I'm, I'm gearing up to jump in to tell them my story as well, which always works quite well. Uh, listening to you in Thailand... Sod's law, it's glorious sunshine on the final day of the holiday after three days of rain, says Janice. Packing the suitcase reluctantly, with your abrasive wit in the background, still stumped at why you call Cheryl Spagbol. Oh, it's because, because she's uh, married an Italian who's got a restaurant. 
thought it was patently obvious. Thought everybody would have known that one. Uh, so that's why, because uh, he's he's got pop-up restaurants, hasn't he? Or a pop-up restaurant or something like that. Anyway, uh, I will tell you about Ronnie Pickering in a moment, because it's, uh, it's a very funny story. He's a very, very funny little man. And, uh, and I will tell you about this book. And for long-standing LBC listeners, you'll be very interested in this book. And I will tell you about the uh, the pyramid, and I will tell you why Jingle Bells wasn't written for Christmas. And I will be telling you as well about the fact that most deserts aren't made from sand. So you can tell this is all coming from a book, can't you? And I'll be doing it on the programme this morning. Uh, plus, uh, we're going through the morning papers. We'll find some stories which will, generally speaking, either... Ma- I mean, this morning, I'm not, I'm not bothering with anything that's sort of particularly, uh, particularly in your face... Uh, it's the sort of stories that you'll see in the papers. We all know about Corbyn's speech yesterday. The Sun are claiming it's an old speech, part of it from the 1980s, from a from a speechwriter uh, called called Wait a minute, Richard Heller. Nick Ferrari's going to be talking about this this morning. So they say part of it came there. He seemed quite comfortable. Whether or not you think he's the leader. And he could sort of become Prime Minister, I don't know. So you can send me a text, 84850 or steve at lbc.co.uk. Malcolm said, somebody hugging their sister in the sea. Well, it's not actually, it's sister-in-law. He's her brother-in-law. But also, uh, you know, would you hug your sister in the sea? I don't know, would you? I don't know. He said, it's no worse than the Jedward twins taking a bath together. Yes, I mean, that. well, that I thought was slightly odd as well. They actually sleep in the same room. They are joined at the hip. I don't think they're going to be likely to have girlfriends anytime soon because they they are so into. I remember the first time they uh, appeared on the television, and they sort of came on stage, hey Birmingham or wherever they were, and Simon Cowell's face was an absolute picture. And they went on to sort of do world dominance, and they uh, they represented Ireland at Eurovision. Uh, they I and then they did Big Brother, didn't they? I'm sure they turned up on Big Brother, and Louis Walsh used to look after them. And then he decided that they were a little bit too much of a handful for him, so they did a documentary on Jedward, and you suddenly realise that they're mad as bro- as broomsticks, absolutely mad as broomsticks, and a little bit of a handful. You have, I remember seeing them on the television, and somebody said to him, "Can't stop it, calm down, calm down, okay?" Because they get overexcited. Yeah, Jedward love you, Jedward love you, and all this kind of stuff. And then they did stick up hair and they turned up on a few things. Just irritating. Just irritating. Uh, Mick's listening to uh, yet another uh, fantastic show. Lauren says uh, Cheryl Cole's husband is French. Who cares? Who cares? That's nitpicking. Good God, he's got pop-up restaurant. It's Spag Bowl, whichever way you look at it. Okay. Uh, somebody said Steve Allen's greatest hits available soon on uh, on gramophone. 78 CDs and downloadable cassette. That'd be a good idea. Let me tell you the Ronnie Pickering story, because it's quite funny, actually. This is a moped rider who last night spoke about his road rage row, which has become an internet sensation, and has the world asking, who's Ronnie Pickering? Steve Middleton's video shows the foul-mouthed clash with ex-boxer Ronnie, (laughs) driving what looks like a very girly colour car, uh, repeated uh, with, do you know who I am? Footage has gone viral, more than a million YouTube views and many parodies. Trucker Steve, who filmed the scene on his GoPro helmet camera, says, I've never met this man in my life. How was I meant to know who Ronnie Pickering is? Turned out he's just some bloke in a car. I just thought this is some bloke who thinks his very name will leave me cowering with fear. But I wasn't scared. Anyway, so he sold the rights of this footage to an American video company for $300. I didn't even know you could do such a thing. 
but uh, he did it. He said they're also going to pay me a percentage of what it makes, so it's been good. I've had calls from people I know in Australia saying they've seen it. It's mental. I've taken videos of quite a few stupid drivers in the past and reported to the police. Uh, Steve comes from a place called Brandsholm, Hull. He started filming his journeys after an accident, which was disputed. It's often safer in that way. That's why I've got a camera on my car. He says, uh, I didn't want to go through that again, so we bought the camera. Turns out, good investment. Steve's footage shows Ronnie honking at him as he passes his car in a traffic light queue in Hull. The driver, who spouts a series of swear words, repeatedly asks, do you know who I am? You see, at that moment, I'd have held up a mirror in front of him and gone, that's you, dear, that's you there. Because obviously he didn't know, did he? And um, and then, so Steve says, do I care? Before adding, come on then, who are you? The driver booms, Ronnie Pickering. <laughs> Which point, loud guffaws all round. Uh, the one-time amateur boxer known as One Punch Ronnie <laughs> also challenges him to a bare-knuckle fight. Oh, God, he's, he's, a, he's a real peculiar one, this one. Last night, the dad of two, also from Bransome, admitted his shame. He said, I was out of order. It was an overreaction. If you look at the video, there's no doubting that it looks bad. I wanted to give him a severe beating for the manner I believed he was riding. A friend also described Ronnie as a hard shell with a soft yoke. He's mortified by all this. He's a buffoon. He's a buffoon. He's not the messiah. He's a very stupid boy. Do you know who I am, mate? I'm Ronnie Pickering. Sorry? Who's Ronnie Pickering? It's me, isn't it? Well, who are you? Answer, you're a nobody. With a hot temper behind the wheel, which is not a good thing to have. But of course, had you not been filmed, and luckily you were, there's one on the LBC website we got the other day. Somebody, uh, the police are looking for somebody. They've been caught on on a video camera and CCTV as well in a store hitting somebody, uh, which isn't very good. And in a row, believe it or not, over a parking space. And it was on the LBC website. And I remember thinking, it, it, it reminds me of that joke years ago of the woman outside Harrods, and she's going backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, into the sp- and she can't get this car into the space. She goes out for about the 15th time, and a car nips in behind her, like that. And so he, he gets out of the car. He says, that's what you can do when you're a good driver, darling. So she gets in her Mercedes. She goes forward a bit and then she reverses and smashes into the side of his car she gets out and she goes over to him and she goes and that's what you can do when you're very rich <laughs> and it reminded me of that because people people have road rage now i don't know why why do people have road rage you know what is it i mean i just you know if ever sort of somebody you know i used to get years i don't get it now so much because it's a bit silly uh, people sort of revving their cars up in the days when revving cars up apparently looked like a bit of a threat. And people would sit there with a tram and, vroom, and I used to think, you're using all this petrol up. And then I used to sit there. It's a bit like a scene out of a movie. The traffic lights change orange and they're gone. The wheels spinning, smoke pouring out the back. Of the, and I just sit there thinking, you've just wasted a few litres of petrol. I'm not remotely bothered. I could, you know, why do people think it's got to be one upmanship? It's like people who jack their cars up at the back and they put coloured lights underneath or they've blacked out the window so at night time they can't see anything. I mean, do they think, you know, when somebody blacks out the windows of a car and I've got tinted windows on my car, they're factory tinted, uh, but you get people who, who, who do them with this film that you put over there. They can't, I mean, I thought the whole idea, if you think you've got a nice car, is you want to be seen, not hidden. But then you look at some of these hideous things that they're driving around and you think, I'm not surprised you put that black film on there so we don't have to look at you. 
Because it just... And I love it when the police pull them over on the interceptor programmes. Hello, we've got a little gauge here. This uh, this uh, film is illegal. And they make them pull it off the window. You can see the, the tears welling up. <laughs> you know, as somebody peels off this real cheap stuff they put on the window. The worst ones are the mirrored ones. Have you seen those? Generally speaking, they are driven by complete naffos. They're the sort of people who drive cars. And, and you look at it and you think, if you'd saved up for another year, you might have been able to buy a decent car, as opposed to putting... And they put chrome wheels on something. <gasps> Twin exhaust, chrome exhaust. You think, oh, dear, why are you bothering? Why are you bothering? And they all sort of... You know, they can't afford to do anything else. can't afford to take anybody out. So they just drive up and down in London. Well, that's, that's not very exciting at all, is it? Quarter past five. Only on LBC. Look at the team at seven. What did you make of Richard Heller's, sorry, uh, Jeremy Corbyn's speech? With renewed calls for Britain to pay billions in reparations for slavery, should we cough up? This one, this has been running for a little while, hasn't it, I think, this one. And uh, they'll be talking to a Thunderbird as the kids' TV phenomenon celebrates 50 years. Nick Ferrari and the team. It's going to be Sylvia Anderson, and they're going to be talking to David Graham, who was the voice of Parker. Yes, my lady. That's the only impression I do. I don't, I don't actually do impressions. There's no extra charge for that on the programme this morning. I know some of you thinking, I don't have to pay for that. It wasn't the best impression I've ever heard. Yes, my lady. It just sounds like Prince Charles, doesn't it, with a bad cold, as most of my impressions do. I can also do Michael Crawford. Yes, my lady. <laughs> only with Jessica thrown in at the end of it. Um, uh, Chris, who does the, uh, the travel, he has a, a very good friend called Ed, who's the, uh, the TV hot editor from The Daily Star. And uh, I love watching people spats online. This isn't really a spat. It's, it's just it's something and nothing. And he said, if, if Chris Golds tells me about how many followers he's bought one more time, I will scream. Because, you know, you can... And I only realised about a year ago that you can buy followers online. You can go online and, uh, and you can sort of buy, you know, 1,000 or 10,000 or 50,000 or 35 million, you know. However many you want to buy, you can buy followers, but they don't exist they're just fictitious people. And, of course, it makes it look good. If, if you've actually got thousands and thousands of people, you think, I'll try and boost it a little bit. And then I thought, well, if, if Chris, has, who does the travel, had been buying people, he'd have bought a bit more than 9,000 people, which he hasn't. So I'm going to have to ask him about this a bit later on. He's going to be mortified. But then it is actually, um, it is actually sort of turning up in, in media. And so once it turns up in media... Um, we have to we have to mention it. When I read about Ron Pickering, Steve, I thought it was regarding the former athletics presenter, but he passed away years ago. The only famous Ron Pickering I've heard of. Uh, by the way, you have an ever-growing following on Facebook. Uh, well, it's not me. I don't do Facebook. I've never done Facebook. I don't do Instagram. I don't. What other things are there's probably loads of things, but I don't do anything like that. So nothing to do with me at all. Nothing. Uh, Sam is in Salt Lake City, Utah. The time here is ten thirteen per m. And Ian says there's an awful lot of angry folk around at the moment, on a daily basis. Uh, Patricia, I thought you had chrome wheels. Yes, uh, I think actually chrome wheels, it was an exaggerate. These are factory fitted, they're not, they're not plastic chrome wheels. They're not plastic chrome wheels. And, um, and so mine are, are proper, proper chrome wheels. The other ones are terrible. Uh, Steve says Duncan in Limington. Oh, I tell you what I discovered the other day. Before, I, before I'll come back to you in one second. But we've got somebody in the office at home called Jack who's doing work experience. And he comes from Scumthorpe. OK. And so I said, oh, Scumthorpe. Is that, is that where they've got the donkeys on the beach and the pier? And he said, no. I said, it is a seaside town, isn't it, Scumthorpe? And he went, no. I said, you sure? 
He said, well, I should know, he said, because I come from there. I said, are you sure? I said, for some reason, in the back of my mind, I've got Scumthorpe, and there's a beach with donkeys and a, and a small tower and, and a pier and stuff. He said, no, not Scunthorpe. He said, oh, Scunthorpe's terrible, he said. I said, really? He said, oh, dreadful place, dreadful place. And, um, and so I said, oh. I said, are you sure you haven't got a beach? He said, well, we didn't have one the last time I looked. He said, they might have put one in. And I said, and then somebody else said, because I said to them, you know, if you think of Scunthorpe, do you think of donkeys on the beach? And they went, no. I said, why? They said, because it's a steel town. I said, what, people nick things? He went, no, 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 no. He said, they make steel there. I said, I could have sworn I've seen pictures of on the beach. And then I suddenly thought, maybe I'm confusing it with Skegness. Maybe. But I seriously thought Scunthorpe sounds like a seaside town. Why would I think that? Odd. Anyway, Duncan says, uh, people in those blacked-out cars tend to have a large selection of criminal records, and probably security tags as well. It is odd why, why people do it, isn't it? It is odd why somebody would want to make their car look even more ridiculous than you thought it was possible to do. You know, you, you take a little Citroen and you suddenly think to yourself, oh, dear. In fact, that's what people have been joking about, poor old Ronnie Pickering. Do you know who I am? Who are you? I don't know who you are. I'm Ronnie Pickering. Oh, Ronnie Pickering, mate. I do bare-knuckle fighting. Do you really, sweet cheeks? How lovely. He drove the fastest Citroen in the West. (laughs) Love things like that. That was, of course, based on Ernie, the fastest milkman, but we have the fastest milkman uh, on this programme. I think if Jeremy had become the leader of the Labour Party before the last election took place, it would definitely be them in power now. John MacDonald said Hazel's been my local MP too, and he's an absolutely brilliant man. Yes, I, I'm not sure. You see, I, I'm not sure whether the, the goalposts have moved a bit now. The party faithful loved him yesterday, didn't they? They loved Corbyn. But then they would do. They would do. Uh, Steve, guess how much it costs to go to the Pride of Britain Awards? Well, I've got no idea. I've got no idea. Varying in price between £4,500 and £6,500 plus VAT. Guests will enjoy a three-course meal, half a bottle of wine per person. I always think that's a bit of, a bit of an insult, don't you? They go, how much wine is there? And they go, half a bottle per person. Really? Well, let's think again. Uh, And an opportunity to attend the VIP drinks reception, all in addition to the award ceremony. Oh, right. Thank you, Oliver, very much indeed. I didn't know that. I've never been. I know. So all the celebrities, they don't pay, do they? I'm presuming somebody would would be looking after them. Well, I hope so. Um, I won two tickets, says Dennis, to the Grand Opera House Theatre in Belfast. They were for last night. So I got the bus to Belfast earlier as I wanted to do a little tiny bit of shopping. Err indoors, followed down in the car after work. We met up at the theatre at seven, got our tickets from the box office and took our seats. Good seats they were. I thought I'd have been stuck behind a pillar, but no, perfect view. Two children in front of us, perfect. Now, the last time I was in that theatre was 15 plus years ago with our son at Panto, and he's near 24 now. It was a musical called Legally Blonde. Oh, yes. And it started off full of action. All the singing and dancing, not including the break, lasted just over two hours. And what a show. Done by the Ulster Operatic Society. And it was fantastic. The play, the actors, the theatre, the staff, perfect. On the way home, I said to the wife, there must be a lot of camaraderie among actors and fun. And one hell of a lot of hard graft. They were marvellous. So much so... Uh, it's brought theatre back into my life again. Now that I've stopped the fags and the booze, I think I could afford to go maybe four times a year. By the way, he said, I didn't tell the wife I'd won the tickets. We went for a meal afterwards. She said she'd pay as I got the tickets. He said, I don't want to be close at hand when she finds out, as I've told loads of friends. Dennis, 
You are going to you are going to get a, so much trouble for that one. So much trouble. People do that, don't they? They say, listen, no, you bought that. I'm going to pay for dinner. You go, oh, thank you. How'd you get out of that one? You can't. He said, Phil Collins, is it? One of your next victims. Interviews with successful people worth interviewing. Bring it on. Yes. I mean, uh, today, as I say, I've got uh, Amanda Holden. Uh, tomorrow, Chris Tarrant. And... Um, who else is tomorrow? Can't remember who else is tomorrow. And I, th- I might have three tomorrow. We're certainly stockpiling. And then the then the boss said to me the other day because he'll just about be getting up now. He said, "Oh, oh, Steve." He talks like that. Uh, or, or, or Steve. He said, "We'll have to sort out Christmas because we've already sorted out. Um, I know what I'm doing Christmas." Kind of a sore point there. Anyway, and um, and so we're going to be having some specials of in conversations. So that's going to be nice, isn't it? And hopefully we shall sort them out. I'm determined this year to try and make sure that we get lots of panto people in because that's an opportunity when the stars come out to play and they do their panto. Once they're in them, you can't do it. And uh, Widdy Widdicombe's doing panto this year. She's doing it uh, not with anybody dancing. She's doing it with Basil Brush. Anne Widdicombe meets Basil Brush. The meeting of the minds, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Kem. Says, I've just woken up to foxes fighting in the back garden. They keep throwing themselves about all over the place. Quite vicious. I don't mind them fighting, but must they do it in the back garden? Thank goodness for your show. I feel a little bit calmer now. Yes, I like it when, if, if we're a calming influence for you. On the subject of um, slavery, Adrian, still listening in France, says, why do we pay for slavery that had nothing whatsoever to do with anybody alive today? Perhaps we could ask the Italians to rep- recompense us for the thousand of years we lived in slavery under the Romans. James O'Brien will probably think we should pay up. Oh, what you're saying is that you think James O'Brien will always take the opposing view. So if I say black, he'll say white. If I say white, he'll say black. But that's how you get a good conversation going, isn't it, really? I always, I always say that just to justify it. And uh, thank you, Paul in Ho, for the, uh, the Parker joke. Uh, of course, you noticed that I, I failed to do that on the programme because I think we'd all heard it before. Uh, Annie and I both thinks that Seven Little Girls were sung by Frankie Vaughan. Are we both wrong? Yes. I mean, he might have recorded it. But uh, I don't, we don't think Frankie Vaughan. It didn't, he didn't come up on the list of people singing it. Uh, but Bryn says, I did meet Sir Tom Jones many years ago at a cabaret gig at the Café Royal. He was nearly mobbed by all the women sitting in a large circle on the floor. And as he ended, he handed me his microphone and said, how do I get off? There was a small door through the kitchen to which I pointed. And as soon as he sang his last number, he gave me the mic, nipped through the door and shut it from the other side. The women went mad and stormed the door. One ended up with a broken arm. I met him a few years ago and reminded him, and he and his manager said it was the first open cabaret floor gig he'd ever sung on, as at that time he was appearing at the Palladium, and the clients had persuaded him to uh, appear with us at midnight. This story, Red Tales in the Sunset, is in Bryn's book, and I gave him a copy. I've known Phil Collins for years, as I knew his parents. He used to call me Popper invited me to his wedding to a gorgeous girl called Oriane. It was in Switzerland and was wonderful. 300 guests were there, but unlike other celebrity weddings where the place is full of celebrities, not with Phil, just friends and family and the members of his band. Super guy and we love him and absolutely no swank or side. He's just one of the gang. And that's how Tom Jones was yesterday. I said to him, the good thing is you've, you've not lost that, that beginning thing. Very grounded. It's uh, 5.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. 26 minutes to six. This is the programme that everybody wakes up to listen to in the morning. And uh, always nice to uh, to have your company and to take all your texts and emails. And we do put them all in. Lisa 
says, uh, I love listening to you on the early mornings and I agree with pretty much everything you say and every opinion you have. Interested to hear you say you'll be meeting uh, Phil Collins next week. My mum sat next to him at school. And then his dear mum, June, and then later on his sister became my agent and I went on to perform in the West End. There you go, you see. There's always a link, isn't there? You can always guarantee whoever you, uh, whoever you mention on the, uh, the programme, you can always guarantee, always guarantee that somebody will know somebody. Somewhere. Uh, Marilyn says, uh, I'm still chuckling about an evening a week or so ago when uh, snuggling into bed with Steve Allen, Winnipeg, Canada, and charging my phone on the other side of the room, I had my text sound go and thought, who'd be texting me at this time of the night? Only to realise that you have the same Sherwood Forest tone. Yes, I've, uh, this is the one, actually, that people complain. They go to it, it goes... And they always go, you've got your phone on again. You go, yeah... <laughs> I leave it on because you never know. It might be some sort of emergency. And um, I'm looking forward to that, uh, Julie. Oh, he's, he's not going to dress up and try and compete. I'm going out for a, um, a Christmas dinner this year. In fact, I think actually this will be the year I have more Christmas dinners than, uh, than anybody else. Unlike your friend, says Bill, I did have gas, but through a prepaid meter. So imagine my surprise when here in Bermondsey... I got a phone call from a debt collection agency in Glasgow threatening me with bailiffs and all sorts. Tried to explain that I was on a meter. I couldn't possibly owe anyone anything. Only to be told you don't know what you're talking about and that the price of gas had gone up. Anyhow, after six, yes, six calls to the energy provider, they finally uh, contacted the debt collection agency and called off their dogs. I dread to think what would have happened if they hadn't. I'll tell you the worrying thing about that, and this is a piece of advice for anybody else. Once a debt collecting agency have got your name on the books because somebody somewhere will think that you owe them money, it's very difficult to get it removed. I had it years ago. It wasn't my debt. It was a debt that somebody else had on another property that I had at the time. And so somebody else had that... Uh, property, and they'd had a debt. So, consequently, when I tried to get something, yes, I can't remember what it was, might have been uh, finance on a car or something, uh, they went, oh, no, you've still got an outstanding debt on the property. I said, I can't have, because the debt goes onto the property. That's why you've got to be very careful if you're buying a business, that there's no debts attached to it. Uh, Margaret says, maybe you were thinking about Scarborough. Do you know, I really thought Scunthorpe was a seaside town. I don't know why. Is it because it begins with S and it sort of sounds vaguely seasidey? Scumthorpe. We're going to Scumthorpe on holiday. I just imagine slot machines and a beach and donkeys. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's uh, it's inland and uh, it's all steel and stuff like that. I mean, I, I don't know how I got it so wrong. I don't normally get it wrong. Uh, somebody uh, talking to... Oh, Joel sent me a thing. He says, thank you for bringing me joy in my lows. Which is okay. We, we, we don't mind. There's no charge for that whatsoever. And, uh, and Chris says exactly the same, actually. He says, Steve always cheers me up when I'm down. We, we pick everybody up, which is why everybody tunes into this programme, why everybody's listening to it. And they don't necessarily have to be, you know, people who are out delivering or doing bread or driving buses or driving taxi. I get more taxi drivers listening. There's the thug element that we don't, we don't bother with at all. So we, we just, just lose those in the, in the melange. But uh, oh God, we've got loads of people. Uh, the Avon, seven little girls sitting in the back seat. We, we can't find a Frankie Vaughan. Uh, recording of it, but I mean, I'm not saying that there isn't. Uh, looking forward, says little Julie, to seeing Glenn Close next April in Sunset Boulevard. It's coming into the Coliseum. Uh, there for 47 performances. She has played Norma Desmond before. In fact, she did it for uh, on stage here at the Adelphi, and she did it for Andrew Lloyd Webber's birthday. And uh, I can't remember who she was singing with, actually. But that was uh, 
that was, that was a super show that had everybody. Michael Ball singing from Aspects of Love, Love Changing Everything, and Glenn Close looking at him with undying admiration in her eyes because he was so, so good. So here is this uh, letter, which I got the other day, from a guy called Keith Skinner. And I said you'd be interested in this book because uh, years ago, if you're a regular listener to LBC, you will know that he used to appear with Martin Fido on Pete Murray's show. This is about circa 91, 92, and they used to answer listeners' questions about murder, because Martin Fido used to do Murder After Midnight. And, in fact, I think you will find, if you go to YouTube, you will find that some of the Murder After Midnights have been re-recorded. They've been re-recorded, and uh, I'm not sure if everybody's aware of that. So Murder After Midnight, all those things that people used to listen to when it was broadcast with Clive Bull, which became very, very addictive, and it was Martin Fido reading, and he did a lot on the Yorkshire Ripper and all sorts of things. Anyway, it was almost, um, he said, on the occasion when Pete was unable to host the show, you stood in, and I do remember you had a personal association with the Yoland Waddington murder, which was almost 50 years ago. Yoland Waddington used to live... Uh, down the road from me when I lived in in Berkshire, and she was we'd never had a murder before, and she was found in a in a in a, a pit I think, and every time I used to drive past her, I think that's where Yolande Waddington's body was found. It was it was quite traumatic for everybody in the area. Anyway, after a quarter of a century, Keith has contacted me again. He's got an exhibition at the Museum of London, the Crime Museum Uncovered. Now, this is the museum, which I think at the moment, I might be corrected, but I think it's all in mothballs. They've put it into boxes. I was invited uh, many years ago to go to the Crime Museum because the man who ran it was a big fan of the programme. So I went to the Crime Museum. But uh, there's a book that Keith and a colleague have written. It's called Scotland Yard's History of Crime in a Hundred Objects. It's going to be published next week. He said, knowing of your interest in the Crime Museum, where I now work as an official part-time volunteer... Oh, God, well, it doesn't get any better, does it, for you? He said, and you visited the museum at New Scotland Yard. I've asked the, uh, the History Press to send you a copy in the book in the hope that you might mention it on the programme. He says, I'm told it's the ideal gift for women to give to their husbands. <laughs> But irrespective, he said it'll be something to browse on the train home from Waterloo to Twickenham. Yes, I mean, I'm, I, I can't wait. Can't wait for it. I did go and see the Crime Museum, and it was a museum that was set up not open to the public unless you had a, an invite. It was for serving police officers to go there and try and find out whether or not a crime they were looking at uh, could be associated with a crime before. So they were looking at... And they had all sorts of things. They had cookers and pots and more guns built into walking sticks than you could shake a stick at. They had all sorts of things. Uh, I mean, they really did have a lot of stuff. Some breaking news just coming in. Georgia, the state of Georgia, has just executed a woman. As far as I remember on this one, I think it's the first woman that they've executed. She was convicted over her husband's murder in 97. Georgia has just executed her, which we knew was going to happen. Which we knew was, was going to happen. Uh, so, um, I will give your regards to Paul Savory. Martin Fido, Fido now lives and works in America. Keith, thank you for that. I shall look forward to the book. In fact, I shall really look forward to the book. We shall talk about it on the programme. Um, the Beep Beep song. Uh, he's got on the screen K.I. Diddles. I've got it by the Playmates. David Edgeway. No. Yeah, but definitely the Playmates had the hit with it. I, do, I, mean, I don't like, you know, to, to sort of poo-poo... David in Edgware, but poo-pooing I am because the Playmates was the, was the hit version of it, which must have come out in might have been the sixties, might have been the sixties, I think. The Playmates, while riding in my automobile or something like that, or Cadillac, uh, the little bubble car, that one. 
You have to be a certain age to remember it. Certain age, but definitely the Playmates, because I used to... Like it. Yeah, the Playmates did... I think they did the hit version of it. I don't... You know, I'm not poo-pooing David again in Edgeware, but, you know, poo-poo David. Poo-poo you. <laughs> I think the Playmates had the hit with it. I can hear them now. I can hear them now. Steve, uh, had another look. You're quite right, says Jan. And uh, it does look like Tiger Lily is quite full on with her brother-in-law. I mean, well, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I thought they do look a bit... It's not ju- They're in the sea together. You know, it'd be like me going on holiday with the producer. I mean, that's never likely to happen. That would be stalking. And, well, I know why. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, but it'd be a similar sort of thing. And um, getting into the sea and him, him trying to do a bromance. I mean, possibly he could, he could sort of literally crush the life out of me. You know, I might be sort of found floating around Crete or something like that. But uh, you wouldn't do that. That's why this photo is so, so odd. So odd. Uh, have you ever thought about having a few mini-in-conversations with some of your loyal listeners? We could have Neil's life in the country, Noreen's stories about the 60s bands. What about Mablethorpe? I watched Body Donors last night, a very taboo subject which was sensitively handled, well worth watching. Yeah, as I say, I have seen somebody being embalmed, and I just don't think it's... why. I suppose because we have a, you know, phobias, don't we, about death, and we have phobias about, you know, seeing things like that. But I've seen a number of programmes about death. I've seen somebody who, had, uh, who was at Dignitas, who was taking their own life, they filmed that... And that showed everything apart from the final moment uh, when he died. We had a, another little chap on the television who started... He narrated his own death. He said, when you... He said, that, that's me in, in my coffin you're looking at now. He narrated it beforehand. He went to pick out his own coffin. He knew he was dying. And uh, he had that skin complaint where his skin was falling off. I think it was called The Boy Whose Skin Fell Off, and Nell McAndrew was not... She was in a terrible state. I mean, the whole thing... It's just awful, anything like that. But it does make you aware uh, that life is uh, a little bit short, and things can go... Uh, things can go terribly wrong. And uh, another one here. Is it... What have I got to do? Oh, sorry, I've got to take a quick break, actually. Uh, the Playmates was actually a reworking here as the uh, the Bubblecar song, due to the BBC's pedantic refusal to endorse brand names under any circumstances. Thus, Cadillac and Nash Rambler, both of which were deemed a no-no by the Beeb, were... Wait a minute, there's a bit more on this one here. Replaced by Bubblecar and a limousine. It was a, they were a vocal group, John, weren't they? They were... Um, he said, I'm going to attempt it at karaoke. Oh. Gerald says, maybe you were thinking of Skegness, a dreadful dump. Yes, I saw Wayne Fontana, said Christine, at the Whitby 60s Festival last Sunday. Nutty as a fruitcake, but still a good voice. One of my all-time favourite songs was Pamela Pamela. Only short record, That and No Milk Today by Peter Noon. Uh, Axel says, I've just watched the Ronnie Pickering video. Oh dear, oh dear, <laughs> what a shame, what a shame. Uh, those that put on uh, the tint on the windows of the car or plastic alloys or a spoiler, the side of my wife's ironing board. Village idiots, says Jonathan. Most of them need booster seats to see over the steering wheel. Yes, I have seen the Go Faster Strikes. Uh, stripes, strikes. I've seen the Go Faster Stripes down the side of cars. And the spoiler on the back to make it look like a racing car. They generally are quite a few shillings short of a pound. Quarter to six. Steve Allen on LBC. Ten to six. Not really, it's 11 minutes to six, but I thought I'd give you the, the benefit of the doubt. Uh, for 31 years, David has kept a diary. Nothing unusual in that. Lots of people keep diaries. It's a, a good way of, you know, of just finding out what you did. You look back and you go, today, went to work. Tomorrow, went to work, went back home, had a bottle of Prosecco, 
had some food, had sprouts. I did have sprouts yesterday, actually. And now the sprouts are back in, and I've started early this year. I'm just waiting for the tiny sprouts. I want the little teeny tiny sprouts. Anyway, this particular man uh, is David uh, Grissomthwaite. It's a fabulous name, isn't it? Grissomthwaite. And um, he has a diary on... What do you think? But anyway, if, if, if I give you a clue, he is billed as one of Britain's dullest men. He's kept a diary on, <laughs> for 31 years on every time he cuts his grass. Every time he mows the lawn, he puts it in this uh, diary. And for 40 years, um, sorry, for, for, for 31 years he's been doing it. And he features in a book of 40 chaps called Dull Men of Great Britain. They've got really tediously boring hobbies. So, uh, Mr. Uh, Grissomthwaite, 87, and he looks a good 87. He began keeping records after he relayed his lawn in Kakodi in Fife 31 years ago. He found the average time per year when the grass needs trimming in his part of Scotland is one and a half months longer than when he started. <laughs> I won't bore you with the other things, but there are lots of other people. Uh, there is uh, Kevin Beresford, who comes from Redditch. In Worcestershire, Kevin is president of the UK Roundabout Appreciation Society. Now, really, to be totally true, we shouldn't be laughing at these people. I'm naming them, and we are, but they are Britain's dullest men, and they appear in a book called Dull Men of Great Britain. Andrew Dowd has visited 2,548 railway stations in England, Scotland and Wales. Hugh Barker of London, I thought he would, he would go to the top of the list. He has been around the country photographing hedges. He photographs hedges. Now, whether or not it's topiary, I don't know. Uh, Paul Rabbits of Leighton Buzzard, he's visited 300 bandstands. You remember bandstands, ladies and gentlemen? Of course you do. And he's written two books on the subject. He even got a tattoo of a bandstand on his arm to celebrate his 50th birthday. Uh, Tim Barker, who lives in uh, Cumbria, has been collecting toy soldiers. See, I don't think that's dull. I think that's quite normal to collect toy soldiers. Uh, and now has more than 12,000. Many, he says, are of historical interest. When you were young, you had toy soldiers, didn't you? You had the metal ones. You had to be careful because they were lead. Uh, there's even more dullness in the book. Anthony Cook built a replica First World War military tank, keeps it on his driveway in Cambridgeshire. Steve Wheeler from Malvern has spent 30 years collecting more than 20,000 milk bottles. <laughs> there you go, Kevin. You found somebody to rival you. 20,000... I mean, why would you collect 20,000 milk bottles? Don't they all look the same? Meanwhile, Nick West of Cleveland has collected more than 7,500 British beer cans in 40 years. That just sounds like an alcoholic to me. Retired doctor Simon Barley has around 1,500 hand sores and he's written a PhD thesis. James Brown of Derby is another collector. He's got more than... I think I might be rivalling this one. He's got 300 vacuum cleaners. See, I love a good vacuum cleaner. I've got two at the moment still in their boxes. One is a, a G-Tech thing, which was terribly expensive, and one is a... Oh, no, I've taken it out of the box, you just remember. It's, it's a handheld, but really nice, powerful in chrome, which I quite like. I mean, I, ju I just like the idea that there are these eccentric people out there. So for, for, for David Grissomthwaite, who sort of measures his grass and writes it all down his book, he probably... Th and it obviously then becomes a bit of an obsession, doesn't it? You can't do anything about it. You just you just have to go with the flow. As I said before, we used to see people years ago, we used to they, they, they were pretty dull if they sat at the end of railway platforms writing down train numbers. Same way, I've got an app, which is... Uh, it's to do with 
aeroplanes. It's to do with flights coming in and out of Heathrow. And you can look at it and then you can push a button and it tells you where the plane is going and who's on it. Which I think is quite, not not, list of, not a list of passengers, but it just tells you where the thing's going and where it has been to. Which I quite like, actually. I don't use it that often. I don't want people to think I'm a bit simple. <laughs> well, well not, not that simple, anyway. I don't know. You do laugh, don't you, at some of these things. Uh, and Widdy Whittacombe, who's doing pantomime with Basil Brush. Uh, she says, um, she says here, I remember the original Basil and reflect that both he and Sooty have survived the technological revolution with their simple approach when Muffin the Mule and Lenny the Lion have not. Oh, I used to love Terry Hall and Lenny the Lion. There you go, that's for Bryn and Annie. They'll bring back memories. And Muffin the Mule. Remember the little song? <coughs> she used to sit there with this, uh, it was a string puppet. We love Muffin, Muffin the Mule. <laughs> I think that's what she sang. Both uh, pop stars and puppets come and go. Basil Brush is the Cliff Richard of children's entertainment. It's, it used to be a guy called Ivor, who used to look after him and do the boom, boom, and sit under the... Uh, the t- oh, sorry, there's children listening. Uh, but anyway, uh, so now there's somebody else doing it. And he sounds roughly the same. <coughs> Excuse me, how you ever see him on stage? I'll never know. He's not exactly the biggest. I mean, you'll certainly put it that way, be seeing Widdy. But how they do... Isn't it amazing that um, something like... Basil Brush can actually make it onto pantomime. <laughs> the things they do for pantomime now. Anne uh, Widdy Widdicombe talks about um, it'll take more than posh staggering out of her own party looking a bit tiddled uh, to end a marriage. Because I said on the programme, and I've been proven right, that, you know, just because you see him looking a little bit angry as uh, she's going... And so she's sort of staggered out hanging... Not the first time she's staggered out hanging on to him, but I don't think she eats... But it's the dark glasses all the time, isn't it? Uh, he doesn't wear dark glasses all the time. He, he does wear them if he goes out, but she's inside wearing dark glasses, which strikes me, strike me as being slightly eccentric. But nevertheless, it sort of hides a multitude of sins as she heads into her 40s. And she uh, they have been married for 16 years. They've got kids. Probably more embarrassing with the kids to go, oh, God, Mum's had a skinful again. Well, that's always the embarrassing thing, isn't it? But uh, she says, I don't know what the state of the Beckham marriage is. And like I said, I couldn't care less. Nothing to do with us. It's up to them. If they want to keep it together, they do. If they don't want to keep it together, that's all right by me. Doesn't make any difference at all. Kelly's Eye talks about the attention-seeking Gail Porter. She's been sectioned. She's done everything. And she's still droning on about the same thing she was droning on years ago. She said she's been sectioned under the Mental Health Act. And... um, she confessed that being on um, Celebrity Big Brother was the worst thing ever. I know. She's not a celebrity. She was well known for being projected onto the House of Commons years ago. But, I mean, that was so many years ago. Most people have forgotten her completely. But uh, they say, uh, in, in which case, talking about this, she's a fragile soul. I have to ask, what precisely was she expecting when she entered the well-documented madhouse that is Big Brother? Uh, a fee. A fee. That's exactly what she was in there for. A fee. She wasn't in there for anything else. Nobody's interested. She doesn't. She can't contribute to anything. She was saying... <coughs> sorry, a bit of a tickle. Um, that uh, she went in there to prove... They always go in there to prove something, don't they? I want people to see the real me. Nobody cares. That's the whole thing. Nobody's particularly bothered. They're doing it for a fee because they're not getting any work. And then she thinks that she's going to be a presenter again. I couldn't quite work out exactly where... She was thinking of being a presenter. But I'm sure there must be something... Her agent must be going, oh, don't talk <coughs> about this. Which is, uh, you know, terrible. Uh, speaking of comedy records, says Glenn, this one released in the mid-60s, sometime before you were born, Down Came the Rain, easily sung and never forgotten. A friend of mine got very excited about it because uh, uh, Mitch listens to the programme 
He's also on YouTube with Down Came... Go and type it in. If it does not put a smile on your face, then you must be as hard as nails. You need to go and see it. Uh, best song ever, Tower of Strength by Frankie Vaughan. Singer Mark Armand keeps promising he'll do a version, but up to now he hasn't. I have the original, says Stephen Bridlington. Nowhere near Sunny Scummy. I don't know why... Do you know why on earth I ever thought that Scumthorpe was near the sea? It's apparently Iron and Steel Town. They make... Stealing, you know, steals steal up there and something like that. But the, the bloke I was talking to in the office, Jack, said it's awful. He said it's a horrible place. <laughs> Whereas I thought it always sounded quite nice. Obviously not, and I've just confused it with somewhere else. Uh, don't forget, Global's Make Some Noise is fast approaching. I told you yesterday that next Thursday, which is the 8th, we're going to be raising money for LBC's charity to give a voice to little projects in London and throughout the UK. And so we'll be telling you how you can bid for some amazing money-can't-buy prizes. There's an amazing day behind the scenes here at LBC. Very brave, if you ask me. And a fantastic holiday to Washington, D.C. If you go to the LBC website, lbc.co.uk, you can download our Dress Loud pack, and you can be uh, part of something that's really quite special on Global's Make Some Noise Day, Thursday, October the 8th. And I thank you in advance for taking part. It's going to be a great day. It'll make a huge difference to children and young people who need our support. And uh, lots of the presenters here have got exciting things. We've done it in the past. We've done it for the last, uh, well, quite a number of years. And uh, each and every time you've dug deep into your pockets and you've either foregone something for yourself to give money to a a great charity. So put the date in the diary. It's for next week. Uh, Very shortly, we'll be telling you what some of the prizes are that you can bid for. And there'll be an army of people sitting outside manning telephones so that we can can try and raise as much money as possible for what is uh, possibly one of the best causes that we've ever had. Little Julie has booked tickets for the pantomime, which is Peter Pan. As yet, they've not released who's starring in it. Knowing them, it'll be exit star lineup at Wimbledon Theatre. Always is, actually. Always is a good lineup. I wonder who it will be. Who is starring? Somebody must know, I'm sure, because the pictures uh, or the panto posters will have been printed. So if anybody knows who's doing Wimbledon pantomime this year, do tell me. News at six is fast approaching. Coming up in the next hour of the programme, the inmate who walks out of prison for a night of passion with his wife got caught out. She's, she's gone uh, previous. Uh, Jim Carey's girlfriend kills herself, they say, just days after they split up. Our top tart is a Bakewell tart. Uh, Hillary Clinton apparently has had secret plastic surgery. There's no secret about it. She looks like a chipmunk. Doesn't look good at all. The Traptor Track, which is uh, ready for a crop of speeding tickets. Uh, Help for Heroes, £45 million in just one of their bank accounts. They've got hospitals that they've built or places for the soldiers. Empty beds. They've got so much money, they don't know what to do with it. Uh, Homosexual... Smithers comes out to Mr Burns in The Simpsons and Helen Mirren says, thank the Lord, she's not going topless ever again. Whew. You can breathe a sigh of relief. It's LBC, I'm Steve Allen. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's Wednesday. It's the 30th of September. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast show. Cliff Richard is back. He's on tour. The fans are delighted. Police vow to ignore the new laws on smoking. Apparently, coming in, I think, from uh, tomorrow, it will be illegal to light up in cars with children. And the police have said they're not going to do anything about it. They're just going to turn a blind eye. I mean, surely, I mean, the next thing is coming round your house. 
and knocking on the door and saying, we've just seen you smoking through the window. You've got children in there. You're not supposed to do things like that. Uh, the eccentrics, we've already revealed their boring hobbies. Although I've just discovered somebody else who goes around photographing gravestones, although they are actually quite interesting. Holidays on Mars, decades away, and help for heroes. They're absolutely awash with money. All of that and more between now and 6.30. lot to cram in. According to a celebrity magazine, Gail Porter is worth five million, says Duncan. That's so ridiculous. Where would she get five million from? She's never done anything that's paid any money. Seriously, she, you know, the little thing she does on television, 250 here, 300 quid, that's it. Never worth five million, not worth a penny piece. Not worth a penny piece. I should have five million, honestly. Uh, the wonderful Mark Bolan, Bridget tells me, is or would have been 68 years old today. I wonder what he would have looked like. I wonder what Mark Bolan... I still go up because Roehampton's just down the road from me and the, uh, the place where he uh, died... Uh, they still have ribbons on the tree. They still do it. The fans do it. In the same way that Freddie Mercury's uh, garden gate into his garden, which is near Earl's Court, um, is always covered with graffiti, like the Abbey Road Studios. There's always graffiti. They just paint it over every so often, and then the fans fill it all in again, so they have their, their moment of glory. But uh, Tony Blackburn's house, flat, uh, Muse House, used to overlook... Freddie Mercury's garden. I remember going upstairs into his, uh, his upstairs room and you could look into Freddie's garden, which was quite amazing. But still people write those sort of things, don't they? Uh, Kevin the Milkman says Gail Porter could do presenting on Babe Station. Oh, I don't think so now. Maybe, maybe some years ago. Maybe some years ago, but I, I don't think now. I don't think... I've never seen anybody on Babe Station with no hair at all. Uh, Mick says, I've uh, over 20 years, I've photographed and uh, geocoded 74,000 UK telephone boxes. <laughs> Slightly eccentric, isn't it? Slightly eccentric. Uh, good trip this week, says Des. The world's only working paddle steamer, the Waverley. Oh, I should love Mr Waverley and the man from Uncle. From Glasgow, goes from Tower Pier to Clacton via South End. Does it really? A working paddle steamer. Oh, dear. How lovely. How lovely. And um, I do like uh, the idea... Uh, Somebody was talking about comedy songs, and uh, there are so many comedy... In fact, that's, I think there's a whole album of comedy songs. Do you remember the uh, Sophia Loren and Peter Sellers one? The, oh, Doctor, I'm in trouble. Well, goodness gracious me. And that was from Chris in Leeds. I think that appears on, a, on an album. And Malcolm says, talking of toy soldiers, I remember when women could earn money for painting them. They were delivered to the homes and collected. Yes, it was, it was the Working From Home Brigade. But do you remember the scam that was exposed on Esther Ranson's That's Life? I used to love the scams when they exposed them. It's a bit like sort of a previous version of Watchdog. And one of them was for... It was specifically targeted at ladies to work for home. If you've got kids, you couldn't go out to work. And it was too expensive to put the kids into nursery. So they would work from home. And it would either be packaging Christmas cards or birthday cards into cellophane. They'd all be delivered and you had to put them in there. Sorting out tights or stockings or socks. And the other one was painting toy soldiers. And I remember distinctly, they would deliver the toy soldiers, all the paints, and then they would come and collect them a week later. And so you'd be sitting there trying to paint 5,000 toy soldiers. It was, it was quite, a, quite a work of art to do these things. But the women didn't get very paid very much money at all. And the other one, which was exposed by Esther Ranson, was lampshades. You would send off your money and they would send you back a kit, which meant that you could make this lampshade. But when you sent it off to the company, they were all rejected because it was a scam. They had no intention of paying you for your lampshade at all. 
And so that's why it was exposed by Esther Ranson. So they made one. They actually did it. They said, right, let's do this properly. So they came in and they put it all together. They sent it off. Company rejected it. And they went, why have you rejected it? We've made it exactly, believe you me, we've made it exactly as it should have been. And they went, uh, well, it wasn't quite right. And of course it was a scam, but by that time they'd raked in an awful lot of money and uh, people everywhere were very, very, very disappointed. Um, uh, John, the projectionist, says, following a previous listener's mention, might I heartily recommend you track down Mitch Murray's Down Came the Rain. I guarantee you will not regret it. You absolutely will not. You absolutely will not regret it. It's, it's, very, uh, it's very funny. It's a comedy song. It's, it starts off beautifully, but you'll find it on, on YouTube. You'll find lots of things on YouTube. Uh, we're going to run through the, uh, the papers and try and get the, uh, the stories in there. I've got to find more on the story about Help for Heroes, because it appears that they've, they've built all these places, but they've got loads of empty beds. And they're saying in the paper they've got so much money now, 45 million apparently sitting in bank accounts, they don't quite know what to do with it. So they're not saying in any way, please don't give us any more money. They want, you know, keep giving the money. It's just they haven't quite worked out what they're going to do with it. I suppose you could end up helping to build a prison in Jamaica. That's what they're going to do. We're going to give £25 million building a prison in Jamaica so that we can deport criminals. Apparently there are 600 Jamaican nationals languishing in prisons here, and we want to get rid of them. And so if we spend £25 million building a prison in Jamaica, maybe uh, we can then get rid of them. And they, they won't bother us ever again. Well, that's the theory behind it. Seem to get a fairly cheap, uh, fairly cheap prison, don't you? Uh, the new meddling storm over Kids Company. And this is uh, Alan Yentob. The BBC are facing fresh calls, the Daily Mail tell you, to sack Alan Yentob after damaging new claims emerged about his meddling in the corporation's news coverage. He lobbied a radio presenter uh, who was about to broadcast a report on the failed Kids Company charity. Mr Yentob, who was chairman of the charity, overstepped the mark by phoning the presenter, 45 minutes before he was due on air. Sources say the BBC creative director was spinning his line and trying to influence the direction of the programme. Because uh, Kids Company closed and there are allegations of mismanagement, financial, all sorts of strange things which are going on. I'm sure it will run and run and run and run. And uh, the BBC... Uh, did break the story, because they're actually now sort of backtracking and saying, no, we actually did break the story. It took them a long time to do it, because up until then, uh, various people were sort of covering it up, and they were defending her, and, and it turns out that maybe it wasn't as justified as they thought it uh, could have been in the first place. Uh, here's the tractor. It's a lovely picture of a tractor, but hidden in it. There's one hidden in a horse box as well. This is on the... Uh, the I don't know why I'm telling you this, actually, because if it cuts down... I'm not going to tell you where it is, I've just realised. If it cuts down speeding... I'm all in favour. Uh, Help for Heroes. The story of the amount of money is sitting in reserve and they've got hospital beds empty. £45 million sitting idle, waiting to be spent on injured troops. According to publicity, uh, sorry, publicly available accounts for last year, £21.3 million is languishing in a bank account. The rest held in investments and stocks. The sum is nearly 20%. Of the total amount the forces charity has raised since it was set up in 2007. And last night, a former army officer said the organisation had made so much money it didn't know what to do with it. But Help for Heroes said the money was being saved as a reserve in case public donations dry up. The figures came as it emerged. H4H and the army have spent tens of millions on four recovery centres for wounded personnel. But beds have lain empty because of dwindling demand. As many as 15 out of 50 bedrooms at the charity's most high-profile recovery centre 
at Tidworth in Wiltshire were unused for several weeks. Only around half of the rooms at the two largest facilities were occupied by serving troops. Because that's how it's worked. I mean, they've actually raised... Help for Heroes, I think, has possibly been one of the success stories of the 2000s. I think since 2007, when they were formed, they've raised something like £235 million pounds. I mean, it has been very, very successful because we want to give to Help for Heroes. The charity summed up everything that people in this country wanted. Uh, 45 million sitting there means that they can run the service for three years without receiving any more money. Well, how much it costs? 45? Good God. Terribly expensive, isn't it? Almost as expensive as uh, as Kids Company, which was terribly expensive. We weren't exactly sure what they were doing. Mind you, I'm not exactly sure they knew what they were doing either. Uh, according to Prue Leith, an affair with a married man can help a girl's career. That's what she says. You'll have to read the story in the uh, in the Daily Mail and the illegal lighting up in cars with children. From tomorrow, it will be illegal. You will see it. The police are going to turn a blind eye to it. They've said, "What? Well, I mean, you know, we've got enough things to do. Uh, they're making cutbacks, ridiculous cutbacks. They're selling... Where are they selling? There's a police station just come up for sale. Knight Frank have got one in Chelsea and uh, it will be pulled down. They pulled one down in Richmond... They've moved them to other premises and it's being turned into luxury flats. The one in Chelsea will be super duper luxury flats with probably shops underneath. A new Scotland Yard went for something ridiculous like £350 million. And I spent a lot of my formative um, broadcasting in New Scotland Yard, broadcasting during the travel reports back in the, well, a long time ago. It's uh, quarter past six. Steve Allen on LBC. Amazing how many people fiddle train fares nowadays. They're having a big clampdown at the moment on people who, that whenever they're, they're stopped because they don't have a ticket or they don't have a valid ticket for travelling on the railway, they always say the same thing. Um, uh, well, I would have bought one, but the machine was broken. Or failing that, well, other people do it, so I thought I'd do it as well. About 23% of people think it's quite normal to travel on the train uh, without a ticket. Ask Brian at Twickenham Station. He'll tell you the amount of uh, people who try and jump the barriers. He's had stand-up rows with people who are fiddling crooks. These people. I mean, yesterday I'm on the Reading train going back home. And the one thing you can't... You can sit in first class if there's a first class carriage on Windsor and Eton and on any of the other ones, but on the Reading train you can't because you can buy a first-class ticket to Reading, so it's specifically there. And these four students get on at Clapham Junction and sit there, and you think, oh, where's the ticket inspector? Where's the ticket inspector? Because I'd have had photographs of them up on the internet immediately, people who sit there in first class when they don't have a ticket for it. And you knew they didn't because they're students. They didn't even bother swiping out of Twickenham Station because at a certain time the barriers are open. But uh, you watch people, some of, the, um, some of the people working on a building site around there, trying to push two people through the barriers. It's a regular occurrence. Fiddling, they are. And people think it's normal. They think it's quite normal to fiddle. These are probably the same people who go to Marks and Spencers, pick up a packet of socks and take one pair out and, uh, and walk away with them. Thieves. Thieves. That's why the prices are the way they are, because of these people thieving. I don't know, we need, definitely need more, more police, armed police, I think, on the, on the trains. Uh, David in Wanstead says, perhaps you're thinking of Mablethorpe, which is a seaside town in Lincolnshire. No, I was thinking of Scumthorpe. That's the odd thing. I don't know. It's, it's bizarre, isn't it? I don't know why I thought Scumthorpe was a seaside town. I do apologise. Uh, Basil Brush was Ivan Owen, uh, not Ivor Owen. Uh, Ivor Owen was a very funny Welshman who I knew well and was great. Uh, Ivan Owen, a Basil... Uh, a Basil Brush was strongly connected to the casual comedian George Martin. His son Mike has written a biography of his dad called Be Lucky. 
which is wonderful to read. Basil Brush is well documented at the end. I'm surprised he's still around. I wonder who's playing it nowadays. I can't remember who's doing it, actually. Somebody bought it, didn't they? They, they sort of bought it, because when he first started, it didn't sound like Basil, because obviously it wasn't. It was a different person. George Martin and his close friend David Nixon were guest artists at Bob Potter's Lakeside Country Club. A friend of mine lives over the road from Bob Potter's Lakeside Country Club. Many years ago, and the royal guest was Princess Anne, who'd shortly been married to Captain Mark Phillips. There was a welcome lineup for about uh, 30 guests, and George and David were side by side, both very large and standing close together. As Anne reached them and shook their hands, up popped Basil Brush over their shoulders. <laughs> As you can imagine, because he could have been hidden there quite well. Uh, hello, Your Royal Highness. <laughs> Which uh, she was slightly taken aback. Fallen off any good horses lately? Ha ha ha. His in- her instant response was, you don't fall off good horses. You ask my husband. He does. He was going down the line behind her. She was furiously quick at the repartee and always very funny and impromptu. Uh, down Came the Rain was, as I recall, sung by somebody who actually called himself Mr Murray. I don't recall the Mitch Murray. It was a terrible record. But uh, the great DJ Pete Murray was furious at the choice of the name of the singers as people were beginning to think it was him, which he loathed. I loved it. I thought it was Mitch... I'm pretty certain it's Mitch Murray. Pretty... 99% certain Mitch Murray. Very good record. Very good record. Daily Express front page. I'm running out of time here. Uh, the migrant crisis giving Ham- Cameron an EU headache... Uh, the back pain, the six golden rules to fight it. The new guide will bring relief for millions. I know how you suffer with it. Uh, Pixie's breakfast date at Tiffany's. This is Pixie Lott, who will take to the stage in her first play. David Mirror, David Beckham and the Alton Towers Heroes. They're, they're doing the uh, Help for Heroes thing. Not Help for Heroes. They're at Pride of Britain over more pages. They've still got more pictures of David Beckham you haven't seen. Uh, the Sun are talking about the Corbyn speech written in the 1980s. Uh, plus, the actor Jim Carrey said he'd been hit with a lightning bolt by the suicide of his girlfriend, a fat cat NHS boss, £410,000 payoff, which is uh, quite, a, quite a lot of money. Uh, also, the, uh, the bully Chew boss, who received £41,000 compensation, and uh, laugh out loud, Mrs Terror hits back at the UN ban. This is Sally Ann Jones, not the, not the, full, the full quotient on this one. She's one of uh, ISIS's uh, most effective online recruiters, was hit with sanctions on Monday. But the fanatic dub Mrs Terror said she didn't care if she wanted to die defending ISIS held Raga. Um, and uh, she tweeted, you know, I came here to fight for you. I mean, she's quite clearly not the full shilling, poor soul. And uh, so she's on the front page of the paper today. Plus the British jihadis facing the global cash freeze. Front of the Times, they've got a picture of uh, Jeremy Corbyn setting out his policies. I didn't think he actually set them out particularly well, but that's just my opinion. You can read in all the papers today. Depending on which paper you read, it depends on whether they they come up with new politics, old speech, very old speech, part of it written in the 80s, but uh, that's, of course, where Mr Corbyn comes from, so he's likely to take from something. And uh, the independents say he woos the lost generation. Uh, and on the road through Europe's crumbling periphery with the desperate refugees from Syria's war. Although not all from Syria, as we have since discovered. Uh, very quickly, uh, Norman says, no cast announced for Wimbledon's Peter Pan yet. I think the person who thought Frankie Vaughan recorded Little Girls is thinking of, you've got to have something in the bank, Frank, that he recorded with the K-Sisters. 
See, people know these things. People know these things. And uh, one of your listeners mentioned seeing Wayne Fontana at Whitby, says Noreen. We used to go to those weekends. Excellent. Some years ago, we turned up at a 60s show in St Albans and sitting in his people carrier in a disabled bay having a smoke. Wayne does an excellent set and is disappointed he's not on the tour next spring. Uh, Very quickly. um, Packing to move, says uh, Angelina. Boxes and bubble wrap. Oh, Lord. Isn't moving the worst thing? Isn't it just absolutely soul-destroying? And uh, and Colin Berry says, Basil's old voice was the actor Ivan Owen, obviously previously associated with all sorts of characters on children's ITV in the 50s. I knew him quite well. I wonder if it was Cleethorpe you were thinking of as the coastal town. No, I thought it was Scunthorpe. Which I've not mentioned the blooming thing, actually, now. <laughs> I seriously thought it was Scunthorpe. I was having a discussion in the office yesterday. People thought I was mad. Completely mad. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter. Colin, thank you for that. Very grateful. Always nice to have a, a contribution from you. I'll be back tomorrow morning between 4 and 6.30. A free podcast for you up in about 15 minutes. And don't forget, you can listen to LBC whenever you want, wherever you are. Never miss a moment if you download the free LBC app for your mobile or tablet. Leading Britain's conversation at 7, it's Nick Ferrari at breakfast. And don't forget Thunderbirds and uh, and that speech. But right now, it's Lisa Aziz with the morning news. This is LBC. LBC.